All right, beautiful humans, welcome back to another episode of Naked Sunday. I'm your host, Caleb Nelson. I have my good friend here, Gary Kasabian. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I always start off my episodes, now that I know that you've been listening, because I, I never know who's actually listening at yep. this point. Yep. I always like to start off with why I appreciate my guest, and I didn't even realize that we've known each other for almost a year now, if not at least a Maybe year. Maybe a little bit more, yeah. And I got to know you during the pandemic, and obviously, you know, I have a soft spot for any entrepreneur in general, but... Mm-hmm. What I've really admired is just the resiliency with you having a like a brick and mortar space to keep that going and just like the service and like the personality and the consistency of just who you are as a human didn't change through that. And I'm at a place in my life where you're looking for like the reliable people who can keep their shit together when the storm is getting crazy, when people are a little bit off the rocker, but it's like somebody who knows who they are and why they do what they do. Um, I just really value that because every single time I come in here, it's like, hey, man, how you doing? It's just always just friendly, always welcoming. And not enough people think about curating that kind of environment. And yeah, that's what I think of when I walk into any business. Not everybody is perhaps as thoughtful about it, but that's meant a lot to me. And it's just been, for me, a lot of fun just to build our friendship and get to know you more over time. So so thank you for that. Oh, thank you. And I, I think um, I was thinking back to the first time we met and he came in here and said, how are things going? And one of the few people that are actually asked about the business in a thoughtful and I think uh, helpful way and always thought very highly of you in terms of your business sense and your just genuine interest in people. So uh, I appreciate being on. Thanks, man. That, uh, that makes me feel good. I, sometimes I was wondering, am I just talking, talking off into the ether? And I don't know, you know, I just want to bring joy to everywhere I go. And it makes it really easy when you go into a place yeah. and you just feel like you actually somebody gave a shit about you yeah well it's it's, it we're kind of unique in that you know um the cafe was sort of an offshoot of um the business that i started about seven years ago stack nutrition and it was really a result of the space that i was in you know we're sitting in this space now and it's it just lended itself to um beyond sort of the web online sales and wholesaling it to other uh, other places, you know, want to have a little retail space and then kind of grew into the cafe and almost 90% of my customers are repeat customers. So I know wow. I, I'm, I'm friends with many of the people that come in They're They're here every morning. And it, this is, you know, I've, I've sort of played the role as a, not, only the, not only the barista <laughs> and the shake maker and the pancake maker and everything else, but, you know, sometimes an advisor to people. It's really been kind of fun. The things you don't think you're going to become when you become a business owner, oh, yeah. not the other hats that yeah. people don't consider. I have people tell me all the time, like, I tell you things that I don't tell other, you know, I'm surprised about what people tell me. Like, like why are you telling me this? You know, <laughs> <laughs> we just don't even think yeah. about that stuff, which really lends itself to like, oh my God, how many people just walk throughout their day and nobody actually asks? Nobody asks. What do you do? Nope. It's just sad. Or compliment people. It blows my mind. Yeah. It blows my absolute mind. And I guess from our sense, what is, I mean, the barrier to success is very low. If you think about what the expectations are on that level. Yeah. So, I mean, I always go back to it just pays to be a good person. Absolutely. Maybe, you know, the assholes finish first bit works in some scenarios, but that's such a short-term sale. Yep. And you brought up something really interesting right there. 90% of your customers are repeat customers. Repeat. Yep. What is it like three to 10 times as more costly to acquire a new customer than to keep one? Yeah. Like that's just yeah. good business sense. Yeah. And what's been interesting is I don't really spend that much time acquiring new customers. It's really more sort of word of mouth and the product speaking for itself. And, um, you know, 
being here because it's just, um, you know, we'll get into it. It's like my schedule is so busy in terms of trying to do, I, I like to tell people that I'm the CEO of Stacked Nutrition, but it's, you know, it's the chief everything officer. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> so you, <laughs> that might you know, be the title of this episode, yeah, I, chief I mean, everything um, officer. I'm doing everything from, you know, making the product, sourcing the ingredients, and then mopping, you know, mopping the floors at the end of the day. So it's, it's, uh, sometimes people are surprised. Like you're actually doing that. You're actually putting stickers on the protein jugs. Like, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm doing it all. So it's, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse, right. That you just, that you're so close to it, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you know, we, 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 we get help, but during this pandemic, it's been, it's been brutal. You know, it's like, no, nobody wants to work and nobody has to work in some cases. And the work ethic is just, that's that's probably the, been the most disappointing thing for me yeah like in going through all this is just you know i know that if i could have survived 2020 we could survive anything but um but i i think we did mainly because you know my wife and i are pretty resilient in terms of um how we run this business and in terms of being self-sufficient and being able to do a lot of the things um and then hiring out things that we can't do mm. you know i think that's really the key is you gotta whenever you hire somebody you should hire someone that can do the things that you can't do or that you should or that's you know that you don't have the time to do or where, where your time is worth more mm. you know so for instance like a lot of the graphics and a lot of the packaging and things like that i hire people out but stay very close to because i don't have the skill of creating graphics for packaging and stuff so when i started out i did <laughs> you know that's how it started but you know did it all but still doing most of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, there's a couple of things you brought up in that, that I think any entrepreneur right now will go like, Oh yeah, I get it. That's why I wrote it down. Yeah. Chief everything officer. Oh yeah. my God. That's going to resonate with if there's you're, if you're a business owner and you're listening to this. Yeah. Holy shit. Is that going to hit? Oh yeah. In the beginning it is that I think that's part of like the soul of the thing. Like, are yeah. you willing to pay attention? So what I think of that is, is what we just talked about, like culture, you have to understand enough of everything to be dangerous. Yep. But then you brought up something that I think not a lot of people understand at a certain point, delegating out the things that are not necessarily worth your time, but also like maybe not your strength anyway. Yeah. That's humility. You know, and I'm, I'm relatively new to owning my own business. This is the first business I've ever owned. I've never, wow. yeah. I mean, my background, um, I went to, I grew up in Boston, um, spent my whole life there. We moved here about six years ago. Mm. Um, you know, went to a public high school, um, went to Tufts University, which was the next town over from where I grew up, wow. studied engineering and um, immediately started working right after college in a full-time job at a, a large consulting firm called Arthur D. Little. And we were doing environmental health and hazardous waste site investigations. So we'd go to different hazardous waste sites and Jesus. look at extensive contamination. So I was the guy in the full face respirator and, you know, moon suit dealing with nasty chemicals all over the country no shit then became a health and safety officer and had another job in an engineering firm and um eventually started working at harvard university so i was at harvard university for 18 years and eventually became the managing director at a pretty young age of the department for environmental health and safety and emergency management so my background went from engineering to environmental health to then into emergency management business continuity and, um, you know, over the course of, you know, 18 years, you know, it's a very, very stressful 
job because you're on call 24 seven. Anytime anything happens, they call you. So it's, it's hard to separate, you know, work-life balance. Mm. You know, I remember being out to dinner on my birthday and getting a phone call saying we get a fire or, you know, being out with family and them being, you know, a hazardous waste spill or, a, or a, you know, chemical, chemical fire or, or, or something that you'd have to deal with and navigate all the different channels. And it was a very, very stressful job, rewarding at times. But, you know, it, I started stacked um, just from an idea that, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, we would visit here. Um, my wife's family's from here, so we would visit Albany. And my father-in-law was making pancakes one morning. He said, you want some pancakes? And I'm like, nah, I don't want that. It's all carbs, and, you know. He said, well, what are you going to eat? I said, I'm eating egg whites and oatmeal. You know, he said, egg whites and oatmeal, why? I said, because it's healthy carbs and it's high protein. And I saw him making the pancake flour and I said, what if there was some protein powder? Because I won't work. And we tried it, it didn't. And I was determined to sort of figure out how could you do this? Like, are there protein pancakes out there? And there were. Batterex made one at one point that was filled with chemicals and had 12 grams of protein, but not nearly enough to be a breakfast that, you know, it's equivalent to six egg whites and, you know, half a cup of oatmeal, yeah. which is like the, you know, that and chicken, broccoli and rice are the two like standard bodybuilding meals, right? I'm sure you've eaten enough of that. Oh, too much. Too much of it. Too much. So, um, <laughs> I started experimenting with ingredients and one of the things that, you know, everyone told me was it it can't be done. You're not gonna be able to do that. And I wrote down on a piece of paper what I wanted. I wanted 25 grams of protein. I wanted it to be low carb or moderate carb, um, no artificial ingredients, um, that it had to taste good. And, you know, I I was looking at, at the time, I didn't really know what it was going to cost because I was doing it from ingredients that I was sourcing from like grocery stores and other things. But, mm-hmm. And along the way, everyone told me, it can't be done. You're not going to just give up. You're never going to get it. You're never going to get it. Typical. <laughs> right? Typical. Uh, typical journey. Yeah. So, you know, I came up with a recipe after like two months and was putting it into Ziploc bags and I was bringing it to the gym in the morning. So I'm like, walking around like the gym with like bags of powder. Like, <laughs> like, and it's either chalk or something else. <laughs> yeah, it's either chalk or you know, it's I swear. And giving it to friends saying, hey, try this out and let me know what you think. And I gave him like three different ones and said, you know, A, B, and C. Tell me which one you like better. And they all came back and said, we like C better. That's the best one. Wow. Every single one. I'm like, right, that's the one. So it became born out of like the gym. You know, it was like people at the gym saying, can you give me a bag of that stuff? Can you give me a pound? I'll take a pound of it. it was pound, a, wow. You know, I'll, t- I'll, I'll t- you know, give you as much of you, you know, as much as you can give me. So it was like almost like a hobby. I'm like, well, maybe I'll make a bag and make a label. And we just started brainstorming and coming up with names and logos. And I'm like, what if we did a website? What if we sold online and had to figure all that out? Um, and it, it blew up. Like, I wouldn't say overnight. Because I was still working full time. I was, I was about to say, like, mind you, you have yeah, yeah you're still yeah, this the hard work ba- work life balance situation. Yeah. Oh yeah, but it was it was one of those ideas that you know, I always heard that if you have an idea, you can't stop thinking about. It, it's probably the right one. Yeah. And I remember going to bed thinking about it, like just my mind was going, "What could we do with this? I mean, we could really, you know, we could come up with different flavors, and you know, we can maybe make it a baking mix. And what if we tried to make muffins out of it? 
And as it turned out, a friend of mine was starting a supplement store at the time. And he said, if you can get that into packaging, because I'll put it in my store. Wow. So I got licensed. I got all the, you know, the FDA and state licenses and wholesale licenses to work out of my home. And it was literally started the business out of like my kitchen. And I was making like, you know, 17 bags a week, 18 bags a week or whatever it was and selling them. And then it, I said, I can't be in the house anymore. I've got to get a, I got to get a facility to do it. And the first order that I brought to his store sold out literally by the time I got home. So I brought him nine Whoa. bags. Yeah. We had three Just flavors. Like it sold out. So, it, and then that store um, was affiliated with a few others and they all bought it. So I was doing this literally like on weekends and after work. Um, and then as bad luck would have it, I ended up having, I think three bosses in five years, three different bosses and a total culture change. And it just didn't work out. Wow. And I ended up, you know, having to make a really tough decision based on some circumstances that I need to leave. And I, I can't, this is your nine to five. This is my like <laughs> seven to whatever at night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is the job at Harvard that I've been on 18 years Wow. and making, you know, 250 grand a year with six weeks vacation and benefits and 403B plans and, you know, everything going from that to, all right, we're going to move into this venture full time. And how are we going to live off this? Wow. So it was like, you know, I can't say that I didn't dry heave at night (laughs) or whenever I thought of it, it was like, you know, literally like sick to my stomach over it. But, wow. you know, at least I had something to fall back on. And um, that's what I did. I said, I'm just going to put everything into this. I, we had enough money saved up that sure. I didn't have to worry about paying the mortgage. But, you know, we had a two-year-old at the time, or actually a one-year-old at the time. And it was like, what are we going to do? I've been here so long. I'm almost institutionalized. Wow. So I got a job offer literally the day that they let me go, the day after. And it was for the exact same amount of money, close to home, doing the exact same thing. And I turned it down. Really? I did. What compelled you? I think if I didn't at least try to do the business full time, I would have regretted it. That is something I don't think a lot of people really take to heart. There's a couple of things you brought in there. One, I think people don't account for the fact that tra- tragedy, we'll call it, calamity, is going to happen. Yeah. Yours was, I'm getting, I have to leave. Like yeah. this, this situation's not working. So people don't, people think, oh, it's rainbows and butterflies. All right, I got the cushy job. I got the things. Yeah. I got stability. Yeah. Not realizing, like, it's inevitable that something's going to happen. Yeah. You don't know what it's going to be, whether it's, an illness in the family. You don't know if it's going to get laid off. You don't know if the market's going to crash. You don't, you don't, you just don't know. Yeah. The fact that you had been doing something all along gave you options when the time came. That's right. So I think that was the first thing that came out to me. It's like so many people, while it's fun and like, you could have been taking your weekends and just God only knows what. Sure. You could just sat on your ass and watch football and be like, that's it. I'm doing that. Yeah. But when push came to shove, you would have probably had to just go to that other job. Who knows if you would have just been miserable yeah. because of work-life balance or whatever, but you had the ability to, to pivot, which 
you know, I, my estimation is like in life, all we really want is choice. We wanted the, the freedom to choose what we want to do, albeit terrifying. And you talk about like dry heaving at night. Yeah, well, yeah. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah. But you did that because of all the sweat equity from like not making huge profits, but like right. setting the stage for that. That really came up to me. So, I mean, I was lucky in a sense that I had sort of the side hustle. I think I saw the writing on the wall. Really? Yeah. Just with the change in organization and the change in culture at, 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 at the university that I was at at Harvard. It became very corporate-like and not university community-like. There was a lot of politics going on. And when I moved up into a high-level position, you know, when you're meeting with deans and vice presidents and the president at some point at, at, at times, the general counsel, it's, you know, you got a target on your back because it's, you know, you're making a lot of money. You're, you're in an influential position. Everyone's vying for the next level up or mm. the most amount of money or the most influence of the most power. There was a lot of reorganization going on. And I think probably thinking back, I started stacked almost as a backup, just in case. Inevitably, it was because of stacked that they fired me. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I remember getting pulled into my boss's office and this is where, you know, we talked before this podcast, we said, we're going to be honest. Right? Yeah. And she pulled me in and said, what's this thing about with the pancakes? So here I am as a managing director with, you know, a department of 65 people and a $10 million budget. And she says, what are you doing? And I said, well, it's a business my wife and I started on the side. She said, why? And I said, it's just fun. You know, it's like a hobby. She's like, it doesn't look good. I said, well, you know, she goes, how much, she said, I have to question how much time you're putting into this and not putting into work. And I said, I don't think you have to worry about how much time I'm putting into work, but what's the difference if I golf 16 hours a week, which a lot of people do, or other things, or sit on the couch and watch Netflix, or we're working a business, you know? She says, well, someone saw you at, you know, a supermarket doing demos. It doesn't look good as someone in your position. And we kind of shrugged it off, like, okay, this isn't, she, I thought I had a good understanding about it. And then it was, you know, pulled me in and said, this is, we can't, we can't continue this. Wow. And it's a, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a conflict of interest, but it was almost like, you know, I violated some sort of rule, you know, and it was like 18 years with stellar performance reviews. And this is where I'm at. And that's, you know, you, you work your entire career up into a point and then something can happen just like that. Mm -hmm. But I will say that in the end, I'm really happy that it happened in that way mm -hmm. because I don't think I ever would have left there on my own. Really? I think I had to be forced out or I wouldn't, I wouldn't have left. I wouldn't have said, I'm going to stop working at Harvard, making this money and then go to a, to run my own small business. I mean, you have to be crazy to do that. Right. On the surface, opening your own business, especially small business, makes no logical sense. None. Like None. underfunded compared to the competition, right. whatever you want to call the competition, the hours you're going to have initially, like, and the, the failure rate is so high. Yeah. It doesn't make sense from like a brass tax. Right. Like that's like comparatively, but something else has to be calling you to say like, yeah, oh, I can do it better. Right. I mean, certainly deep down, there has to be a little bit of the ego. And yeah. I think a lot of people demonize the ego, but I think that's a powerful piece of that. 
And also on top of that, I think that's where, when I heard you say like, it looks bad. Here's a quote unquote prestigious institution. Are we looking lesser than? Or instead you could say, this is a family owned business that they work hard. You know what, not only do our people perform really well, they still make their family and their other aspirations in life a priority. Yeah. That's I mean, a way you who, can look at it. Who knows? It could have been an excuse. Could have been. You know, it yeah. could have been anything. And, and, and I really don't know, yeah. you know, and, um, but, you know, leaving there without any severance, without nothing. Wow. I, mean, I left with my time in and my retirement plan and that was about it. Right. But as a 43 year old, you know, with a growing family, <laughs> with a growing family and a mortgage, and it was like, you know, I mean, I think the 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 goal was to always, because you know, my wife and I spoke. She'd say, "Are you ever are you going to leave there? I mean, you can't leave there to do stack. You how, how you know, stack is growing so fast. How are you going to be able to do both? Because you couldn't do both. Yeah, it's really hard to do both. But um, so in a way, it was kind of a blessing that it was it happened the way it did. Because I never would have left Harvard on my own to to. I, mean, I never even pulled money out of stacked. It was just whatever money I invested into it, which was I think five grand to start. And I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna put five grand. It was from like a tax return, like a at the end of the year you get the money back from taxes. So I said, I'm gonna take that money and I'm gonna put it into this account. And if I lose all this money, then we're done. It's really pretty. And I said, but whatever money I make, I'm just gonna put back into it. And we grew it. But I never took a draw out of it. I didn't even know how to do that. You know, am I allowed to? <laughs> I, I, I didn't know. I mean, I don't know. I never ran my own business. Like, what's a draw? Like, yeah. I, I have to pay taxes on this now, or how does this work? You know, it was, you know, and um, so you go from you know a paycheck every two weeks, you know, and consistently and time off and all these other things to I've got to now live on selling pancakes. <laughs> it's like wow. <laughs> But I had to do it. I had to, you know, it was the only time that I was going to be able to do it. And if I failed at that point, at least I tried. And I can always go get a job someplace else doing what I was doing. Yeah. But, you know, I, I referenced something. I think I talked to you about this. Um, it was a uh, leadership seminar that I went to at Harvard. One of the benefits of being there is you get access to things like the business school and some really incredible speakers and professors. And, um, there was a professor at the business school uh, by the name of uh, Stephen Kaplan. And he wrote a book called Questions to Ask the Person in the Mirror. Ooh. Good book. And another book called What You're Really Meant to Do. Oh, yeah. So that kind of piqued my interest. And we sat in a beautiful, you know, uh, auditorium at the Harvard Business School. And he's a real charismatic kind of guy and wrote the book. And great speaker started talking about all these about about this notion of finding what you're meant to do and he used a few examples one of them was someone who was working at a corporation and was good at what they did and it could be anything right but let's say an insurance company and he sold insurance he knew how to do it he had the experience he had the skill right and they paid him a lot of money for it, but he hated it. He hated it. And it was a bad environment for him to be in. And I realized, you know, that's me. Like, I've got the skill. 
to do this. I'm good at what I do, you know, highly regarded, very well paid for what I do, but the environment wasn't. But a lot of people couldn't believe that. They're like, yeah, but you're at Harvard. I mean, that's it. You're there. I mean, that's the best university in the world. It's the greatest place to work. Everyone tries to get a job there. By the same token, there are people who have passion for something um, and might have the skill for it, but it's not valued. So you can't really do that for a career. You know, you can't choose that. So I guess the example of that would be like an artist or something, mm. like a really skilled sculptor or an artist or painter. You get the skill and you love doing it, but no one's willing to pay you for that. You're not going to live on it. So that's not something you can do. Or you could have, you know, the, the passion and maybe there's value there, but you don't have the skill. You can say, I want to be a, you know, I want to be a quarterback for the Patriots. That's what I want to <laughs> You don't have that skill. You're not going to get that great. skill. It's not happening. Or, or I want to be an astronaut. Those, those are like kid dreams. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. That's great. I'm sure you can, I'm sure you love it. And you, and you, you know, the passion is there and it's a, it's a great thing. You know, you could probably make a lot of money, but you don't have that skill. So the, the key is to find all three of those things. So if you can kind of envision a, what do they call the Venn diagram? Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. So three circles, one being skill, one being passion, and one being value. Where those intersect, that's what you have to do. That's, that's what you're meant to do. That gets me fired up. Yeah. That gets so think about up. I talk to people about this all the time. And I, you know, obviously give credit. But I was sitting there in this auditorium, as I mentioned, and I said, holy shit. I, I don't, I can't be here. Just like that. Just like that. How long before you left? Or... About a year or two. Wow. Yeah. So you had that. Moment. I had started the business and it was in its infancy. Right at that moment. At that, yeah. Before, like... before I saw, before I listened to this and before I read the book. And it was about a year or two after that that I realized I got. Wow. Yeah. So that little voice in the back of your head was there. Yeah. But it's so powerful. It's such a simple thing. Right. But yeah. it's such a powerful thing to think about. Like, well, that's right. Like, and I, I see people all the time now doing jobs that they're miserable, in, but they can't leave. They're stuck. They're institutionalized. That's what we used to say. Almost like um, Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah. What's, what was the guy's name that, that the, with the book? Um, the I librarian. I forget all the names. He said, you know, you become institutionalized. Briggs or something like that. Remember? Yeah. You become institutionalized. You can't leave. Or you're drawn back to it. We're also just so stuck in that frame right. of thought. They can't or your it. lifestyle. Now you're married. You have a, a two-year-old at home and a mortgage. And you can't leave. Well, you, you brought know? that up the other day. What was it yesterday morning? Yeah. As you get older, quote unquote, yeah. or whatever that means, as you go through life, as you take on, we'll call it liabilities, your risk, yeah. your risk tolerance inevitably goes down. Right. Because of the other layers and the other, like it's a complex... Yeah. It's a complex web to have to come to terms with. So when you're yeah. younger, you talk about like regret. Like, if I don't do it now, yeah. are you gonna do it? Yeah, and I wasn't I wasn't a risk taker. Really? Uh, no. I mean, that doesn't really surprise me from the engineering background. You see a lot of engineering. Well, I think it's more my, my upbringing. You know, my parents, my parents are um, the, probably the most supportive two people you, you'd ever meet. Um, education was really important. 
you know, making sure you excelled and did things and very, very supportive, but they were, they were risk averse. Mm. You know, I remember my, my parents or my, particularly my mother would always say, here's the plan. You're going to go to school. You're going to get good grades. You're going to get into a good college. Then you're going to get a job. Then you'll finally meet someone. Then you'll buy a house. Then you'll have a baby. Then you'll start to finish. That's the order of operations. You know, then was, you'll be happy. <laughs> I think it was, you know, thinking back on it, it was, it's, you know, that's the plan, right? Yeah. You know, uh, it was probably more advice so that I didn't knock somebody up somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the other thing she would always say to me as I left the house was always, don't become a statistic. You know, oh, like, <laughs> so a very risk averse. And it was like, you can't leave this job. My father would, you know, he worked at the same place for, 40 years, you know, and it was like, can't leave that job. That's, that's what you, you got to move up the ladder and stay there. And that was sort of the measure of success. Yeah. When I told them that I was starting a protein pancake business, they looked at me like, so it's like a hobby. But I'm like, kind of, yeah. <laughs> when are you going to go back to real jobs? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and then when I got, you know, when I left Harvard, it was like, they were like, well, if you need money, if you need anything, I said, no, I'm good. Like, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to do this pancake thing full time. Wow. And, they, and they looked at me and said, well, for now, but Why? you should get a real job, you know? And I went, yeah, we'll see. You know, yeah, no, you should, you know, get a real job, you know? <laughs> Whatever the fuck that means. You know, now I think they, they it's, it, you, I don't blame them, you know, who wouldn't say that? But they come in here now and they go, I can't believe you did this. Wow. You know, it's like, Wow, like the start in your kitchen. And it's like now you got a 4,000 square foot warehouse and nine SKUs and a cafe. And, you know, you know you're doing it, you know. Shipping all over the country. But nobody in our family owned their own business. My father didn't own his own business. My mother was a teacher. My father worked in computer operations. He was an immigrant. Mm. So you know, he came here from, um, from Egypt, like, you know, Armenian background. Um, you know, his, his parents were genocide survivors. Oh, shit. So, you know, he came here with nothing. Nothing. And he worked, I don't know, three jobs and learned the language, became a citizen, you know, you know, then he met my mother and it was like, I mean, he worked his ass off, you know. But it's, you know, taking risks, and we're going back to taking risks, is wasn't in the culture. It's not what you did. You don't just leave a position and abandon an engineering degree from Tufts University to, you know, manufacture protein. But it's funny. It's like people say, how did you get here? How did you get into pancakes? Like what? And it, I thought about it a lot and it was like, well, and if you think of it, like I love food, as you can tell. You know, I grew up in that culture, you know, of, of food and, and I love fitness. You know, I love going to the gym and that was always some, that was always been a part of my life. The engineering degree was sort of like, you know, the skills you learn in being analytic kind of lended itself to engineering, quote unquote. Well, to that effect, like the product is exceptional and it's exceptionally consistent it, yeah. every time. And that's when I think about the engineering mind of like, here's the process. Don't fuck with this. Yeah. And I've heard how protective you are over the process of it because yeah. you're like, if I outsource this to somebody, it's gone. Exactly. Like, can you lose that quality yeah. of control? And, you know, 
I know there's going to probably come a day when that happens, but yeah. you're like so meticulous. Like I will not sacrifice ultimately what I hear is like, that's part of the core here. We don't yeah. sacrifice no. this because no. it's not just about me making a profit. It's about like, when this goes on your plate, this is a representation of me, but also it's about your experience. Yeah. It's, it's a very self, it's a selfless right. process that I hear in that. But, you know, even, you know, not just my academic background and engineering, but, you know, some of the things that I did in terms of like, even being the director of health and safety, I mean, I dealt with food compliance. I dealt with compliance in general. So understanding how to navigate the FDA and, and, you know, making sure that you, you have, you know, clean and compliant facilities. And, you know, I had worked a job early, you know, I've had a lot of jobs, you know, I've done everything from painting houses to, you know, moving furniture and teaching tennis and being a bouncer at a nightclub. So it's like all the skills that you learn in any of those things. But I had a job as a, do you know what AutoCAD is? No. Oh, is that the digital kind yeah, of? Yeah, drafting software. Yeah. So early on in, in like 94, 95, oh, I was yeah. doing that. So it was like the computer skills and just learning graphics. And I mean, I had that skill. I was always good with computers. So you combine all those things, you know, and you, I use all those skills <clears throat> on a day-to-day -day basis to run my own business, this business. You know, it's, it's kind of cool in a way. It doesn't show on degree. Like that skill. Like you, you, don't get a, yeah, you don't get a degree in, you know, protein pick. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's what we're but yeah, I, I, I'm very, very um, protective almost to a fault with the recipe. Um, even in terms of sharing the workload sometimes, probably to a fault. Um, it's, it's right now, the biggest challenge I think is in sourcing is the supply chain, as you know. So making sure that you can get all the ingredients and on time and um, even getting containers right now is difficult, really plastic containers for protein powder or whatever, it's just impossible. Things we used to take for granted. Yeah. I mean, you know, with the, I, I separate sort of the pancake manufacturing and the distribution of that, the online business, the wholesaling from the cafe, in my mind, it looks like two different things. Which makes sense. It does, but. Not everybody would think that that way though. No, but it, it's two Having done a couple yeah. of things where like, oh, but it's the same thing. No, they're two no, no. separate entities. No, this is a grind. <laughs> yeah. The cafe is a grind. But it, you know, I'm up at four o'clock in the morning and it's, um, I don't complain about it, but I, I like doing it. Um, but even getting like cups, like these cups that you would normally take for granted, you go to Restaurant Depot and buy 600 of them and throw them in the back of your car, they're gone. Really? Oh, you can't get cups, you can't get lids, you can't get straws. Really? It's, it's, it's almost, and then when they are available, it becomes like toilet paper, people hoard it. So there's, just, there's like certain things that like, are like single points of failure. Like if I don't have cups, I can't make shakes. One of my people bring in their own cup like every day. We can get creative with that. You could. I have, you know, we've thought about that, but people aren't going to do that, you know. Well, I think about like these are just the second I hear like problem at this point yeah. in my life, all I hear is like, so, what's the creative solution we can oh, come yeah. up with it? Sell them a stack cup and have them bring it back and get a discount. Exactly. Yeah. Like little things like that. But those are the, those are the those are the kind of challenges that come up. But, Mug you know, club. 
Oh, seriously, yeah, no, <laughs> that no, no, no. hey, we're just yeah, spitballing we're just, some ideas here. Yeah, spitballing them a little bit, but yeah, but those are the challenges that we're dealing with in 2021, right? The different challenges than they were in 2018 and 2016. But I also think your unique disposition from your experience also allows you to navigate this time that you can understand yeah. how to deal with scarcity of tangible resources. Sure, sure. I because mean, now, yeah. really, what I find, I mean, again. 90% of your people are repeat customers. That's called loyalty and like relational capital. Yeah. That's people are going to show up as you give a shit. Right. Like little things. Most businesses this size, and someone told me this early on, um, fail because they can't scale, can't scale it. So when I had started the business, I was literally mixing ingredients together in a very big bowl. It's like the biggest bowl you've ever. I have it somewhere. I'll show you later. Like this, the, bowl, the bowl is like the size of this table. <laughs> really? And we, yeah. I was like mixing it in a bowl and then like <laughs> putting it in a scoop you know, on a small scale and measuring it. And that's what I was doing. We have machinery now that takes it, weighs it, and mixes it, and all this other stuff. But that's what I was doing. And I'm like, I can't scale that, you know. But I did it for a long time. Yeah. And then it came to a point where you know, it was like, be careful what you wish for. My goal was to get into Whole Foods, and we got in. And I was really? like, they're like, are you going to be able to meet this demand? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm like, I'm going to buy that machine that I've been looking at, you know. <laughs> but that was, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why small businesses, especially food businesses, fail is because they can't scale it to the. Well, it's a brutal business to begin with. Yeah, it's really difficult. And this, you know, this has been competition, you know, um, and it used to really bother me when. You know, I'd see another protein pancake come off. Or really? Well, you know, there are people that try to rip you off. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, I, I could tell you stories of companies that have ripped off, you know, or tried to rip off even my logo and really? recipe or re-engineer everything. I've learned now that you can't worry about what other people are doing. You just have to put your head down and do what you do best and let it sort out. You know, it's, we try to do what the exact opposite of what most supplement companies do. Like if you think of a typical supplement company, it's just mass manufactured, cheap ingredients, fancy packaging, but cheap ingredients and, you know, nothing, everything is artificial for the most part um, with artificial sweeteners or flavors. Um, nothing's really wholesome about it. Um, you know, they're selling amino acid drinks or they're selling a cheap protein powder and selling it for a lot of money, making it look like it's good or pre-workouts, which have huge margins. Mm -hmm. It's like anybody can contact a co-packer right now and get a pre-workout made for like three or four bucks and they sell it for 40 bucks. We don't have that kind of product. You know, it costs, you know, the margins are very lean because we're using organic ingredients and we're using all natural everything there's nothing artificial and it's it's pancake mix it's expensive you know so um the organic flowers are really expensive oat flour is very expensive coconut flour is expensive almond flour is expensive i mean you name it it's we haven't you know it, we, and we do it ourselves where most supplement companies are, are outsourcing it. i've done exact opposite i said i'm not going to use cheap ingredients i'm not going to outsource it i'm going to do it myself and again back to what i said earlier it's a blessing and a curse but I think that's why we've survived even seven years. And Absolutely. still people, you know, like I said, online, 
buying it, you know, the stores. But I think beyond all of that, but one of the things that I wanted to get to was just the, probably the most important thing was customer service. That's the most important thing, I think. If you can't provide good customer service, I don't care if you have the best product in the world. If you suck at customer service, you're not going to sell. No one's going to want to do business with you. So the, the people that I sell to, like, I, I, I feel like I know them, you know, and, and when shit happens, let's say a package gets lost in the mail and they contact me, they immediately attack. I ordered this on Thursday and I didn't get it till the following week. And it says it was delivered. I never got it. What are you going to do about it? I want my money back. So the contact would say, hey, this is Gary Kasabian, the owner of Snack Nutrition. Yes, I, did you get my, yeah, I got your email. I said, I looked into it. Looks like the package was left on your doorstep. Obviously you didn't get it. I'm not saying that you did, and, but I'll send you a new one. You will? Yeah. I don't have to pay for that? No. And I'm sorry for the inconvenience. Not my fault that it wasn't there. It was the post office's fault. But how often does that happen? People don't if it happened, if it happened yeah. 10 times a year, yeah. why would you fight over that? But think, but everyone is so accustomed to calling customer service and not getting someone on the phone and getting screwed or that when they contact me, they say, oh, really? You'll, you'll just send me a video? Yeah. I mean, I've had a customer say, I tried, you know, a particular flavor. I didn't really care for it. Okay. Can I return it? Well, we have a no return policy. Sure. Why don't you just keep it? What do you like? I like the cinnamon. I'll call sending that. I don't have to pay for it. No. Thanks for, thanks for being a customer. And little things like that, it just, if you don't do those kind of things, you're missing out. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't. And you're thinking big picture. I think that's what is really coming out of what you're saying right now. To give them a bad experience, they're going to go talk shit. Yeah. If you didn't handle that like a good human being. Right. You have, I think what's important in this is not just like a sales tactic to keep business running. This is like, this has to become part of who you are yeah. because that has to be your natural reaction to say like, this person's going through something. They have this expectation, whatever it is. It's not about me. It's about whatever's going on in their life. How can I meet them with compassion? They've, in, they've already looked to invest in me in right. some way, shape or form. Something didn't go right. How can I, how can I over deliver on expectations? Right. That right there like even if you spend you double your loss on that current investment right now right. they're going to come back forever right yeah i mean it's you know the software that i have that manages the orders and the shipping i can see when i highlight if i mouse over their name mm -hmm. how many times they've ordered and it's it's amazing like i actually ran a report recently to look at who my top customers were there were 10 people who spent more than $3,000 in a year. Wow. That's a lot of money. On pancakes? On pancakes. Damn sure it is. Yeah. I don't think they, maybe they don't realize that. <laughs> but they probably know who they, but that's amazing. You know, like someone spends that much money on my product, right? I got to do something for them. You know, we've got to show them some sort of appreciation, send them an electric riddle or send them something at Christmas time or give them something for free or, but, you know, we have the appearance, I think, sometimes of looking like a bigger company than we are. 
You know what I mean? Like you can hide behind an Instagram profile, <laughs> fancy ads or videos or whatever it is. People, people think that we're much bigger than we are. Wow. You know what I mean? And I, 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 I realize that sometimes in talking to people because especially, you know, it's always when people are asking for donations, you know, <laughs> but it's, um, but you know, it's like I said, I'm, I'm basically running this. It's my wife and I that run this, you know, but she's a stay at home mom and she's really busy and she comes in and we do it. You know, it's, it's a family business. It's a family business. And, you know, I beg bar and still help when I need it, but you know, by and large, it's, we're the true definition of a small local company, you know? You can't fake that feeling. You can't. You can't fake you that can't, But you have to act like it. You know, people want to do business with small local businesses because they think they're going to get what? Attention. Better customer service, yeah. right? I, go I, get, I get to talk to the owner, all right? Or, or I'm going to, you know, you're not dealing with, you know, Amazon or you're not dealing with, you know, Walmart. You're dealing with a small business who owner cares about the product. Because it's, yeah. you understand it as part of, I wouldn't call it your identity, but it's like, it's a representation of what you value. Yeah. It's not just about the pancakes. Yeah. It's about the experience. I mean, on the flip side, when I think about $3,000 invested in those pancakes, I'm just like, you actually probably saved that one person a bunch of money because they're already investing in a thousand other things that they yeah. might not even enjoy. We'll call it like the chicken and broccoli and eggs. Like, yeah. I guess boring yeah. really fast if you're in the fitness space like, this is all like, there's yeah. so much regimented mind around that and like we're in a place now where i think the discussion around eating issues is starting to become a little more apparent and and dogmas wrapped around that but here's a new option where i can enjoy what i i can still hold to my goals high quality because i care about what i put in my body it, it it binds to their values yeah. and i'll spend three grand on this because i know on the back end I'm not as stressed out. It's very simple to make. I, I think about all those things when it's like, oh, three thousand dollars is really just a drop. I right. wouldn't be surprised if we're in that in that category. My wife and I. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I don't, I don't ever, I don't know if you do that in your own personal finances, is you know, but people are probably spending that at Starbucks. You know, oh, you, for you, sure. I mean, you <laughs> see people going there twice a day at five bucks a pop. You know, every day, twice a day. You know, Dude, when I owned the gym, people thought like I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. But like. I just watched what you had for dinner yeah. on your social media posts. Yeah. I know what restaurant you're at. Yeah. I know what you spent yeah. and you're crying about what you're about to pay me. Yeah. Like yeah. one, none of those things align with your health goals. Yeah. <laughs> and two, you're spending way more on this. If yeah. you just invest this way, you would probably, you know, that's one of those yeah. bigger I, things. The monetary amount isn't really so much the point for me. It was really more just seeing the repeat customers powerful and, you know it's it really is and, and it it um you know i'm really lucky and i think grateful for you know a lot of my business i mean has been word of mouth from customers who like the product and posted things on their own on their instagram page or facebook page and then other people saw that but invariably what i always get is these are the best pancakes i've ever had or not, not just the best protein pancakes. And then they'll say, and the customer service is great. Gary's a great guy. You know, you know, contact Gary and get your, I mean, don't contact, it's almost like contact him. You know, it's like contact stack, you know, go to my website. But it's, but that's what I get, you know, where I see people at bodybuilding shows when I, you know, do demos. Yeah. And, you know, 
they were much different a few years ago, even five years ago when I first started doing them. You know, when I would go there and I would set up a, a table with a griddle and people go, what is this? You know, and it was like, it was almost like shooting fish. I felt bad sometimes because like you're, you're dealing with people that haven't had a carb <laughs> in like 12 weeks. And then I'm making pancakes in like the <laughs> lobby of a high school where there's an like amateur bodybuilding contest going on. And they're like, you know, smelling the place up with cinnamon roll flavored pancakes. Oh <laughs> my God. Tapping I mean, into all the senses. Oh huh? yeah. You know, and um, but that's where a lot of my customers came from initially, you know, and I think once we got into Whole Foods, then it broadened out and I had to think about the brand a little bit. I couldn't be, you know, a typical sort of, bodybuilding fitness brand right. with racy sort of like if you notice if you look at my instagram it's very wholesome yeah i don't i know you know i know models sell and sex sells but i've never once posted a picture of um and i've had many offers for people to say hey i can model for you or i can never once done that and the reason for that is because you know I have a wife and daughter, and I think I'm also protecting the brand. You know, I don't want that image. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't want my daughter to see that. I wouldn't want, and I know that if I posted a picture of some of these fitness models with, you know, sticking out their ass and, and holding, yeah, it would probably sell a lot on the short term. But am I going to lose a grocery store account because of that or Whole Foods because it's of really that? Bigger, which is the bigger market. Yeah, that's, like, so, that's really who you're speaking to. Yeah, I think early, I mean, the, you know, the, the online, I'm new to this, like in terms of like Instagram and Facebook, I still don't really understand how it all works. I post stuff and it doesn't get seen because I don't push it enough and pay. And Facebook, Facebook, to the choir, bro. Facebook sucks. I mean, it's just like, uh, it's meta now. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand how like three people can see, you know, and I'm taking pictures of pancakes. I'm like, I'm not, yeah. or a recipe or something, but it's like, oh, if you want to boost the post, then a hundred people might see it, but. Instagram's a little bit better. Yeah. It's not great, you know. Listen, I'm I don't the same boat as you. I'm outsourcing that stuff because I'm like I don't get it. I don't get know? it. Nor and, do I and I don't care trust enough. I don't trust the people that I would outsource it to either. So like, Well, when I get that figured yeah, out, we'll I will fig- let you know we'll who, figure that who I trust. Out. Yeah, we'll figure that out because it seems a way to go, but um Well, I think what we're what I'm hearing is the undercurrent here is when I think of Whole Foods, I think of who's gonna shop there health conscious families yeah moms you know. moms yeah do you think a mom wants to just be like oh well there's that what message is that sending to my daughter too yeah. I, like they're thinking about those types of things what is the message you're really putting out there and what i respect about what you're saying is like i'm not looking for this short term yeah could i yeah. make some fast cash yeah but i'm gonna lead with integrity because that's what this brand is built on yeah it wasn't like it the 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 imaging on your Instagram is the same as the thought behind what goes into your product. Right. It's the same thing. And it yeah. speaks to your culture. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if you ever read the book and anybody who has not, I highly recommend it. Um, it's how to never lose a customer again. Uh, what's it? Coleman is his last name. Joey I Coleman. Phenomenal. Yeah. He talks about customer experience as opposed to customer service because yeah his notion is like, if you have a big customer service department, you have a problem. Yeah. Cause that means you have enough people calling in because they're pissed <laughs> off. Like that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Right. But if you have a great customer experience, yeah. what'd you say? 10 times a year. Cool. I got to deal with 10 calls. Yeah. Somebody's got a little frustration. Okay. Yeah. But that's going to get solved in five minutes. 
great. But it's because you've already built a better relationship beforehand on top of the fact a lot of it's already what you're talking about before. Word of mouth, where other people are like, I already trust this guy. Maybe, maybe this all, it's like, I saw this thing on, on Instagram. You know this guy? I saw you like him. Like, it doesn't have to be a big, massive marketing expense. It's, no, I just know the right people. Yeah. And what I've come to learn, and then we were talking before we even got on here, I'm a big believer in the high ticket space. There's going to be only one or two big players in the low ticket space. Ultimately, yeah. you're going to lose out. There can be an infinite amount of high ticket because it's about what you're talking about, relationship. Yeah. You, the only way to really, in my opinion, to scale high relationship is to go high ticket because you, yeah. and you don't need a lot. You don't really need a lot if you have a great relationship. Right. But I, I think 90% of, no, I shouldn't say 90%. I would say, let's say more than 50% of my business is in wholesaling stack. It's a smaller, privately owned supplement stores. Guys like me that own a space like this that have, you know, supplements, vitamins and protein powder and pre-workouts, and you, you know, the typical store, Yeah. not a GNC or a vitamin shop, but the small mom and pop, you know, passionate, right. Really stores, passionate people. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of them in the Northeast. There's not a lot in this area for some reason. Yeah. There's I not a lot. Um, Actually, I couldn't even tell you one. No, there's not really. But in, in Boston, there's a ton because mm. GNC and vitamin shop is almost looked at like, Oh, that's like the Walmart of the supplement industry. They sell mass produced stuff or whatever, but the smaller privately owned ones, you know, some of them used to be kind of shady because they would sell the pro hormones uh -huh. and, the, and the peptides and all these other things. But I was obsessed with those places when I was first working out. I used to go in and look at all the different products. I used to, when I was in high school and college, yeah. like, what is this stuff? What's this, this new thing? And I remember we, I bought protein powder when I was in college. It was called hot stuff. Did you ever hear this stuff? No. So there was a protein powder called hot stuff. It was a chocolate protein powder and um, it was delicious. We used to drink it all the time. And then we found out later that they were putting D-ball in it. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder it was so popular. <laughs> Why did I gain 30 pounds in like ah. <laughs> No, it was like taken off the market. Look it up. Really? Yeah, it was like something I've never crazy. heard of this. Yeah, I, I, I think it was something like that. It was some illegal, like, oh, shit. yeah, but, um, but these mom and pop, like sort of smaller supplement stores are losing out to the Amazons, right? Someone will walk into the supplement store, take their phone with an app and scan the barcode and say, oh, you're selling this for 25 bucks. I can buy this for 20 on Amazon and get it tomorrow shipped to my house. So Amazon is killing a lot of these businesses. And during the pandemic, when gyms were closed, less people were going to supplement stores because they weren't as health conscious mm -hmm. or they couldn't be open for whatever reason. And people weren't going out. They were ordering more and more online. So one of the things that I decided um, during the pandemic, actually, was I'm not going to sell on Amazon anymore. I was selling on Amazon as a choice. Really? Yeah, as a third avenue, um, you know, to, to the online and the retail. But... Um, I decided I'm not going to do it anymore wow. because here's why these smaller supplement stores are getting crushed by Amazon. Right. And Amazon also competes with my own website where hmm. I sell it. It's a selling point for me now to when I call a supplement store and say, Hey, I don't know if you heard of us. 
or stack nutrition. We have the protein thing. Oh yeah, I heard you guys. I think I heard you. I think I've seen you before. We tried and we didn't want, you know, no, that's not me. That's somebody else. That's the whole, you know. All right, yeah, we'll, we'll try them out. Um, how much are they? What, what can we sell them for? How many different SKUs? Uh, what are the margins? A typical question. And then I'll say, you know, we're not selling on Amazon. We're, you know, so you'll be an exclusive retailer or an authorized retailer for us. And then there is perk up. They go, oh, you're not on Amazon? Like, no. So people in my area, they have to get it from here. That's right. It's a selling point. Exclusivity. It's Yeah, because they're not going to have someone come in this. If someone comes in this store and picks up the package and looks at it, like, what's this stuff? They're like, you know, they'll describe the product to them, but they can't go out and get it cheaper on Amazon. Not even my own website because of the shipping, mm-hmm. but there's an incentive for them to gain customers. And a lot of those stores have repeat customers. And I've, I've heard that they've told me some people come in here just to buy the stack. Wow. Like people that you wouldn't even think of, like grandmothers walking in saying, is this the place where we get the stack? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, that's a bold move. I'm not sure how long it's going to last. Oh, I think that's the play. Personally, yeah. Yeah. I think we're moving to a place. I like a club model or a membership model, which really speaks to exclusivity because what that necessitates from on your end or my end or anything like it necessitates a filter. Who am I letting into this space? It makes you have to assess your values and makes you have to assess what are their values. Not just like, can I make money? Right. Cause you could make money, but not everybody's a good client. Yeah. The, uh, do you have any experience in the Amazon marketplace? None at all. Yeah. I, it's tough. I, I don't, I've thought about it at times like you see all those tacky ads and it's like, you can make this and do without ever it's holding tough. product. And you have to be able to get a really inexpensive product and um, be able to sell it for, I mean, for instance, we sell, we sell the pancakes on Amazon for $17.99 when we were selling in there and they're taking about $7.99. So wow. So it's, a, you're left with $10 at the end. And then there are damages because they mistreat them in the wear. They take everything, they throw them into a bin, you know, and so you get damages, you get returns, you get a lot of things. It's really difficult to track what you sent them versus the money you're getting and the pay schedule. And it was almost like, is this even really worth it? Because I don't, I don't have control over, when I know that when I sell a case of pancakes to a store, it's a set amount, they pay me for it, done. Whereas with Amazon, like, you know, you'll get an alert saying there's only five units left. You ship it to them. Then they sell the newer ones and not the older ones. And it's like, there's no control there. And the customer service is difficult, but you can make a lot of money. And if you didn't have your own website and you had, you know, an infinite amount amount of product, that's probably, it's a good way to go. But for me and for our product, you know, I don't let our customers, my wholesale customers sell online. And um, I don't, I don't do it anymore. I don't sell on Amazon. I think that's the way that you have to break in in the beginning, no matter what. I think I admire anybody who keeps to that line. Yeah. The other thing that we do that's a lot different than other supplement companies is that we we distribute ourselves. Mm. So you know, Europa is one of the biggest sports supplement distributors in the world until they went bankrupt. Really? Yeah. In April. I didn't even know that. Yeah, they went bankrupt in April. Really? Yeah. They were huge. What happened? Um, um, I think that they got in debt. 
Um, I think that they, you know, owed a lot of money to some of the bigger supplement companies out there. They weren't paying them. And it was always, when I first started this business, it was like, you know, the, all the supplement stores order from them, you know, because they, they can, they have a line of credit or they have 30 day payment terms or whatever, and they get the product in two days and it's free shipping. It's a little easier for them. So they don't have to go to 10 different vendors. They can order, you know, a tub of this and a bag of that, two containers of this and everything was there and it was all shipped to you. Hmm. Um, they would tell me if you could get into you, if you could get into Europa, you're set. You could get company wide. You could go. You could go nationwide with this thing. You'd be making millions. So I tried to get in. I did, mm. and they. I was in 150 stores before I went into Europa um, with its, with this distributor. And then when we signed up with them, there was a huge contract that I had to review and had other people look at it for me. And the odds are stacked in their favor, obviously. Um, and all they were doing was turning around, undercutting me and selling my product at the places I was already in. Wow. So I was losing $2 a bag or a unit, right? To get to the, and telling those, telling those stores, you need to buy it from us now and not direct. Wow. So, and then they wouldn't pay you for 60 days. And I said, I, I quickly learned, I think within, within 90 days, I said, I'm out. Wow. I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. And then it was always, and we had conversations and promises that, well, we're going to get you into, you know, all nine of our warehouses across the country. It never happened. It's probably why they went bankrupt. But I mean, I, I, I pulled out and I lost control. I, I missed sort of the, the connection that I had with the customers, the wholesale customers. And um, now the trend is for companies like mine and even bigger companies to distribute on their own. And I've learned that these supplement stores prefer to do business now directly. Want to know who you're talking to. And especially now where there's supply chain issues, you know, the prices are going through the roof on everything. Um, You know, to buy a tub of protein from, you know, they used to do these deals like, you know, buy six, get one free, gone. It's not an idea. So, they know that when they order from me, I ship it out the same day. They get it the next day or two days later. It's easier for them to do business. So. Imagine that less moving parts is usually better. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm coming to find, people just want to know if they pick up the phone, they're going to get somebody. Yeah. How many times, I just had a very poor experience with like JetBlue. Oh. It, it blew my mind the way I tried to call. I went through their messaging app. I said, this is what I want. They're like, you're not going to get that. Let me know. Bye. That was it. I was like, whoa, you lost a customer for life. Sorry, bud. Like you guys, like, I'm like, I want to just know I'm going to pick this up and I'm going to be taken care of. Yeah. The whatever, $250 they would have had to refund me. Yeah. To compared to the potentially thousands of dollars I might spend in my lifetime with them. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. Yeah. And you... What I what was interesting that stuck out there for me and took you 90 days. Now I'm finding that that's actually a very typical window in purchasing psychology. Also, when you think about the never the customer 100 days, there's a, there's a theme around 90 days. It's a whole season basically mm-hmm. to like convince somebody, hey, this is worth engaging for a longer term investment. But I thought of like because of your other experiences and other cultures yeah. called the when your experience at Harvard. Yeah. Eh, something is off here. Yeah. If you didn't have that experience before, the big brand name might yeah. still have kept the allure of like, oh, 
oh, like, but I'm in. I got yeah. the, no, you're right. the stamp of honor yeah, of like yeah. being that. I never so. thought of it that way, but you're right. But it was, you know, it was, a, it was that promise, that prestige there, Ooh. you know, that you, you're in. In, you're in with them. You know? And it, was, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't the right thing. I think if someone was, because I know companies that are really good at making products, but suck at the distribution end. Uh-huh. That's where they should go. They should go with Amazon and some with a distributor. <clears throat> um, shipping is very expensive, as you know right now. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just incredible. It goes up like twenty five. When I think it went up like twenty five percent this year. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the biggest obstacle to any online business right now is that the minimum cost for me to ship like one bag. It cost me like eight thirty six. Costs the same to ship three of them, but. It's about eight bucks, no matter where it is. You know, this is local. If you're going to send it out to California, it's even more, or Texas, or Arizona, or we ship nationwide. But that's that's the biggest obstacle is 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 the cost of shipping. But for companies that can't, that don't do a good job of distribution, then a distributor is the way to go. We do a really good job of it, you know, because the product is here. You know, the volume isn't. You know, it's not something that is you know we can't handle you know um and but i'm taking the boxes to ups every day myself so or, or getting them arranging you know who's touching the, the product oh i know i know where it's going and i, I and that's what a control freak i am i don't even like to have ups pick it up here because i don't know how many hands it's going to touch before it you know gets dropped and because it happens, you know. Absolutely, you add one more variable, especially during Christmas time, and they hire all these like U-Haul oh, trucks to God. they just throw them on the truck. So I like to bring it down there, you know. Again, I I'm think, a little messed up that way. Like I, little, I don't see it as messed up. I see it as like until you find a reasonable solution where yeah. it's reliable. So, but it works like, in my schedule. Like it's it's like you know it, it, it's on the way to the gym, I drop but, it off. And, what I and again I think back to your probably just thinking about this subconsciously. I talked uh, I was part of this I don't even know what it is, I don't even call it this marketing kind of guy. But he talked about system reliability. Every piece you add to that system mm-hmm. has its own failure rate. Yeah. So it's not like you're 90 because everybody's human, so you're 90% reliable because you're gonna still have a day. I'm 90% reliable. It doesn't mean that the system's 90% reliable. Yeah. It's like twice as unreliable because we have two variables. So what is it? 80%, 80% is really kind of our, yeah. we have like 20% irreliable. I can't even do the math on it, but you get the point I'm going with it. Every time you add something new to that, and especially if they're untrained, unskilled, don't have yeah. all that. Uh, so I just think, especially if you're thinking about risk tolerance, yeah. subconsciously, that stuff's happening in all of us. It is. And that's, that's something, again, when you think about controlling each part of the supply chain, whatever that is, or the distribution, you're, just, you're accounting for that. But. Yeah, and, and all that being said, I think, you know, I know that my biggest failure point in this business is, is me. You know, if I many business, this person at the top. Yeah, but, <laughs> re- but really with me, it's, it's, you know, something happens to me, it's done. Yeah. So, so that, I worry about that a little bit in terms of, um, but I think, you know, just in terms of not being able to take time off, is, is becoming difficult with work-life balance, difficult to take a day off, even, you know, and time off because, um, you know, we don't have a, we don't really have reliable backups right now. Yeah. Um, but 
but I think we're getting to a point now where we're going to, you know, think about bringing someone on, you know, part-time, full-time to help out. We had somebody and I think during the pandemic, it was just, just it didn't work out. And we've been trying to keep the overhead low, but I think that's, you know, you have to at some point because it's not sustainable. Well, if anything, that makes the system less reliable. Yeah. Because if, it's, if you're the bottleneck, yeah. what happens if you're the bottleneck? And that's the yeah, bottleneck. times are tough right now with employees and reliability. It's, 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 you know, we're managing pretty well, but I think, you know, not being able to take time off or just exhausting yourself is not a good thing either. You know, that tends to happen a lot, I think, with owners of businesses. They tend to do that. I talk about it every day. Yeah. Every single day. Yeah. Without a doubt, that's happening with one of my clients. Yeah, we wear it like every a, day. we wear it like a, you know, badge of honor. Badge of honor. That I'd rather work 80 hours a week for myself than 40 for someone else. I mean, we, but in reality, it's not, it's not the best thing to do. Well, again, mentally or physically. Or long-term for the customer. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're fried and you get hurt because you're not as astute, yeah. with whatever you need to be doing, say you're operating heavy machinery. Yeah. Where does that come from? I'm, let's lean into that a little bit. What's up? The control. Where's my control come from? Yeah. Well, I'm you intrigued. know, I think, you know, if you think about, I mean, I, I talked to you a little bit about my past experiences and reliability. And, you know, um, I always want to make sure that um, there's a backup, mm. right? If there's something, if something happens to this business, I got something to fall back on, you know? That's why I do other things on the outside as well, you know, but, um, you know, I think uh, I have a lot of skills in a lot of different areas. Um, that's how I've been successful at this business. Uh, we talked about that a little bit, but um, I'm struggling to answer this a little bit. But, that's okay. I'm, yeah, I, I think um, I'm, I'm searching for the answer, but I think um, the reason why I'm bringing it up is this is such a common thing. Yeah. So I really appreciate you opening up about it because it would blow your mind. Yeah. I think to hear how many people. Yeah, I didn't even think. I think you're a step ahead because you're you're just self aware of it. And yeah. you're, you're like I understand I'm the bottom. So many entrepreneurs mm -hmm. don't even know that. They're not even at that point where they've realized. Oh wait. I have to find a way to solve this problem. Yeah. And, and I, where does it come from? Right. But, but I also think that, you know, in, in my defense a little bit, sure. you know, sometimes you come across something and you say, well, I want to, um, let's say that there's a, an email you need to respond to or a, a, a change that you need to make or order something. It's going to take me two minutes to do that. It would take somebody else maybe a half an hour with 10 questions. I, just because I've experienced that, I'm, like, I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. Now, there are certain things that I know that I shouldn't be doing, right? And we bring in help, like the protein balls that we're doing. Have you had my balls, by the way? Have you tried my <laughs> The goji balls? No, my balls. Have you tried my balls? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like that NPR skit on SNL. I no, the, balls. Stack, the, the, stack, the, the stack protein balls. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah. Pro those are very protein goji balls at home all the time. So very labor-intensive. Yeah, to make those much more so than the pancake mix, but um, we had great. someone we had someone in over the summer that would, you know, that's all that's all she did is is his hand on my balls and roll them. <laughs> <laughs> she did a great job too. No, but that that's a very labor intensive, you know, product that we yeah. have. But um, this goes very well. With but I, I can't be I can't be spending my time 
to playing with my balls all day. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it, that's not a good use of my time. And I, and I, and I realized that. Um, I'm curious to break down. So this yeah. might be an interesting perspective on how you break down the two minutes versus 30 minutes to write the email. Yeah. It's not a 28 minute game. Right. That's how many times are you writing that email? Right. That's true. So you do the multiplier on that yeah. times it. So you take, call it, two hours 120 yeah. minutes to just train this is how we do this thing yeah over the lifetime of that human right. being there you've saved a thousand hours yeah you know and i also realized that if i wasn't doing all the things that i was doing during the day i would have more time to do other things like growing the business mm. it's, it's a, it becomes a question of working in the business versus working on the business that's a really hard transition that's a hard transition and you know there's books written about it and all these other things but well it's this extension of your trust because now you have to rely on people and people are people humans are going to human yeah yeah but th that's I, I mean that's i think the next phase of this business for us is yeah. going to be making sure we can get reliable helps that i'm not completely stressed out and overworked yeah. and passing out every night at 7 p.m. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, especially with the cafe and being here every morning, six days a week, it's, you know, it's, it's a grind. A, it's exhausting. It's yeah. a grind. Yeah, no pun intended with the coffee, right? <laughs> it works very well. Uh, yeah. Speaking of which, got that I can't right. for a little more still. Yeah. Well, I think now that leads us to this conversation of, that's a different skill set. Mm -hmm. The skill set of managing people, which I really don't like the word managing, but leading people. Yeah. Because that's what we're really talking about. Even leading your customers. Yeah. Positioning and changing that to now lead staff is a really difficult thing. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, and I don't think a lot of people look at it this way, but if you look at your staff as your clients, yeah. It's under it, the empathy and all those things. It's oh, just, sure. they're so difficult to, it's difficult. It's a difficult gap to to bridge, really. It is, and it's a and it's a it's a much different skill set, mm -hmm. right? Being a doer versus being a manager mm -hmm. or, or or whatever. But it um, a C tour is what one of my clients the other day called it: doer versus C tour. I was like, yeah. I really like that. Actually. Yeah, that's good. Seeing to that actually gets done. But the, a lot of the, the transition that I made when I was working at Harvard was, you know, when I first got there, I was the doer. I was the safety manager i would go and train everybody i'd do inspections i do all these different things loved it loved doing that yeah and then the next you know you know you sit down in a performance review and i was like well in order to get you to the next level i want you to manage an intern and then we're going to reorganize we're going to put you know a year later we're going to put these people underneath you now you're managing now you're doing performance reviews you're hiring you're firing you're you know you're being a mentor to somebody and then i moved and took over a different department and you know, um, now you're managing a 24 hour operation with 15 employees and a budget. You're doing less and less and less. And eventually where I ended up was like, I felt like an HR director. Mm -hmm. And it was like 65 people, $10 million budget. And you're dealing with issues that were less technical and much more management related and being the leader. And of course you're making a lot more money, but you lose like, wait a minute, like, this isn't why I did this. Like, I missed the, I missed the other aspect of it. And you want to tend to dive in there and do certain, but you can't do it all on that scale. There's no way. Um, but the issues you deal with are less technical and more like HR related. Interpersonal. 
yeah, it's not even the mentoring that, because I like that. It was more like the, this person, you know, it's a hiring and this person's out on disability and this person has a complaint and this person accused this person of such and such and this person offended that one and you have a, have a complaint lodged against you because they claimed that you did something in a meeting. Like, what? Like, like, you looked at someone wrong. Well, you know. I'm curious then, what changed from your first exposure to being a leadership position to where you'd see yourself now or where, as you grew through that? Here? Or? In general, just oh. like, hey, this is where I started. That's yeah. how I viewed this role versus now this is how I view this role. Yeah, I think, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? And every everything you do is a learning experience. Um, you know, when, I'm not sure where this business is going to be, maybe even next year or, or two years or five years from now. It could look completely different. But, you know, how much can you grow something where you still have that connection to it? I, mean, I guess that's the, the question is how big do you, it, it could be as big as I want it to be, mm. right? But at what cost? Mm. You know what I mean? And the, the control, it, it really does play, especially in a, in a business like mine, it's really important, you know, that you maintain the quality and maintain some level of control. You have to. You know, I don't know if I answered your question. Or maybe well, I didn't understand that, it right. Well, the, the leadership, like it's a different, a lot of people think it's a lot about telling people what to do. Because I, what I heard is mentor. You brought that oh, yeah. word up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what does that look like to you? What has, men, what has it been a, because uh, I'd be curious to hear about some of your mentorship relationships, what, yeah. perhaps what you have here going at Stacked. Yeah. There's a couple other follow-up questions that revolve around vision of this and yeah. and also what is success. Yeah. There's, some, there's some deeper stuff. There's some deeper stuff there, yeah. That. No, I think, you know, mentoring and coaching, those terms are kind of used interchangeably, but um, that's a that's an enjoyable thing to me. Mm. I like that. I like to lead. I like to um, to mentor and, and bring people along. And I've had a couple of really valuable, well, first of all, I've had some great mentors. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. Really good mentors. People that were um, not only brilliant in terms of their technical knowledge uh, that you could go to for that technical advice, but in terms of navigating really difficult situations and had a genuine care for me as a person and where I was going. I owe a lot of my success in previous, in my previous career to that, Mm. right? It was, it helped me be a better mentor because I saw some of the younger people that would come through and they would look up to me and certain things. How did you get to this level? And how did you do certain things? And I was a mentor to, I would say at least probably two two or three people that were really valuable. I mean, I was a manager of a lot of people, but two to three people, um, and we're still very close today, but um, that, truly looked at, looked to me for advice, not only at work, but outside of work. And I helped them come up the ranks and got them the tools that they needed. And it's a, it's a really rewarding thing. If you have the opportunity to do, to, to do that, mm-hmm. it's a really rewarding thing. I think it's, you're really lucky if you have had a good mentor, you know, have you had a many? Yeah. 
a lot of time, a few of them have had to be blowups where we didn't, we've been, we had to reposition our relationships. Yeah. Um, a lot of times now I look at mentorships that I didn't even realize they were mentorships. Yeah. But I've been very, very fortunate. And I look at, I look at my dating life as having had mentors. I look mm-hmm. at almost every, you, yeah. like everybody in some way, shape or form has influenced my way on, on how I bring things to light. But I've had, like my first business partner was, that was an unhealthy balance. And I learned about learning how to like develop communication. And we had a massive blow The first 10 episodes of this podcast was mm-hmm. the two of us discussing how we came back to caring about each other, loving yeah. each other again, forgiving right. that moment. Um, my second business partner, we're still great friends. Uh, he taught me a lot about letting go of certain things. Letting go of control was a big one. Learning how to ask for help. He helped yeah. a lot with that. Um, have you had have you played the role as a mentor then? constantly yeah. probably sometimes to a fault yeah. I, especially in the gym so I just believe I have like I can my vision about my, my, my view of myself is I believe I can see mm-hmm. unlimited potential in anybody and yeah. especially if they give a shit right. um, so for a long time and I started to look at it like I saw a lot of myself in them right. so a lot of it was I think you could be a great coach. Now, would you, do you, would, do you, um, I'll try to phrase this question. Do you label yourself as a mentor of them or are they, do they identify that in you? Ooh, that's a great question. In other words, do you think of yourself as their mentor and is it reciprocal? In other words, do they say, and can that happen? Because I think, go ahead. That's, wow. You turned the tables on me really well. Um, I think I saw thought of myself that a lot of times in my life, it was like caretaker mode. I'm like, I'm part and caregiver. Mm-hmm. So I have very much like, like bleeding heart. Like I see this person, they're a little lost. Like, like I find yeah. real deep joy. And clearly yeah. what I do for a living is like that. Yeah. Um, I've had a few people that would come back later on and say, thank you. Hey, this is what was going on. I don't think in the moment, a lot of times they realize that I was serving as a mentor or probably that the better statement is i never asked them it just was because i think i think being a mentor to someone is you can't say to someone i'm going to be your mentor yeah you never can say that right i had a boss for a very short period of time who called himself i'm gary's mentor uh yeah i never did and i took offense to that because i'm like you're not my mentor at all you know i don't agree with 90% 90% of the things that you do, <laughs> and, you know, um, that was a unique relationship, but I always remembered that. Like he said, wow, because I was doing well in certain areas. It's know, almost like I'm trying to take credit for your success. I'm his, yeah, a little bit. You know, mm. I'm his mentor. So I, I was just curious to see, like, as I, in, in the, I'm thinking back to the mentoring relationships that I've had in terms of me being a mentor. So I never labeled myself as I'm his mentor, but I knew I was. And it was almost like when the person said, you've been a great mentor to me. It's almost like when, a, you know, someone's saying, I love you, you know, for the first time. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, you, re- you know. You really you, thought me that you way. You really thought of me that way. You yeah. know, I didn't realize you thought that way. But it's, it's, it's true. It's, it's, because um, I think you can play a mentoring role in someone's life. But to, to truly mentor someone or be mentored, it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's, it's a unique thing. You know, it's, it's, it's not just about coaching somebody sometimes. You're really actually unwinding a lot in my head right now with this. I would even go so far as 
because there's a couple situations now that I'm thinking about it, like I wanted to be like the person they gave credit to, mm-hmm. but I never got credit until I had let go of that. Yeah. And I can think of a couple times where I was probably the reason why there was the fallout. And when I started to change my perspective on this person is teaching me something, then I feel like I truly stepped into a mentorship role. Mm-hmm. But I only realized that until it was hindsight. I didn't see it. I couldn't see that in the moment. It was flipping to like this person who I'm technically in a leadership role of, they're teaching me everything I need to know. Yeah. Not the other way around. I'm not teaching them a damn thing. And I, I think you bring, that was actually a really powerful question. It's almost like this very ironic counter transference situation, transference counter situation. It, it, it's, it, you're right. It's a very unique relationship. It's very difficult to describe. But I think you saying like, I'm your mentor. It's like, you're always going to be here under me. As opposed to where I think a great mentor never sees themselves as above you. Yeah, and your mentor doesn't necessarily have to be someone that's above you. Exactly. It could be someone on your at the same level as you. It could be someone that you technically know, below, below, or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, in an organization, I should say. Yeah. Could, it could be somebody that's completely not a lot. I, I think a lot of times people, your boss isn't always your mentor. No. And really, and and really, they shouldn't be. Because a men, a true, I think a, a true mentor is someone who can help you navigate that relationship with your direct supervisor or boss mm. in some ways. And, you know, I think my mentor happened to be my, my boss. Mm-hmm. And when I changed positions, he, he still was my mentor, even though he was disappointed that I moved to a different department. You know, this was a particular example I had. And he still is to my day, to this day. He's the only person, one of two or three people that I still stay in touch with. Wow. At my previous job. Wow. I have a lot of friends there, but you know, you know who your true friends are. Well, it also yeah. sounds like what I hear in that, the root of it is like it wasn't about the surface level titles, relationships, and it wasn't it wasn't about him. Yeah. It was like well, yeah. while a disappointed perhaps if you're not there in the same yeah. space from a convenience standpoint, it's like yeah, but he'd rather see you fulfilled and happy. And yeah, so I, I guess the, the lesson is just like if, if anybody says I'm not, you know, I'm your mentor, like you're not my mentor. You know, it's it's not it doesn't go that way. It's not a one way thing. It's not bestowed upon you. Like yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> you've is, been knighted. Yeah, but you know, I've seen a lot of that. Um, but I but I I've had bo- I've been lucky enough to have had both both relationships where I was mentored and brought along and had the you know uh privilege of having a mentor and i've also gotten a lot of gratification out of being a true mentor to somebody yeah. not not just in work but also in, in life and other things and i think it has things. to go beyond just sure it has to be about yeah. like oh hey how's the how's the wife and kids yeah like if you don't understand all the factors that are going into that yeah i think it's an immensely valuable experience to look to pay pay it forward yeah if you've been given that gift oh my god yeah i mean i think you know we're talking about this more in the context of my previous positions because i don't have a large organization Mm -hmm. Uh, but um you know that's a skill that i think you can only 
learn from doing. You can't learn that from a book, you know, and, and you can't decide I'm going to be a mentor. Or something. It, it just happens. Like it's one of those things that it, it's a, it's, it's a result of, I think, being a good manager, being a good leader, but more importantly, just being a good freaking person. Mm. Like you can't be a mentor and be a total dick, you know? No, not at all. Well, I also think it speaks that when you say be a good person, you're being driven by something more than just profit margins. And yeah. Whatever it is that you have, to, you have to genuinely give a shit about it. And it, it will expose itself in everything from the quality of your product here to just how you treat customers to, to everything. Just like it's, this is just my way of being. Yeah. That becomes very attractive for somebody who's looking to do something more. They have a yeah. deeper calling within their life, which brings me to, my couple interesting offshoots are from earlier. It's like when you're talking about growing this and scaling this thing, but also finding work-life balance, whatever that means, you know, I think of it more as work-life harmony. Mm-hmm. What's success to you? So obviously I think there's the, you know, the, the financial piece of it mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, growing the business to a point where you are profitable enough to live a lifestyle that you're, comfortable with or to have the certain things that you want in life and I don't really think of it too much in that way um you know success to me is is more about you know can I be happy you know I I'm around a lot of people that you know have you know fancy cars and big homes and you know and I'm I you know believe me I I you are, we all want that. But I think as I get older, it's less about the what kind of car you drive and what your house looks like and what you have, how many gold chains you have, or how many rings you have, whatever it is, right? It's less about that for me. I mean, it actually means very little to me. I could give it because I know a lot of people that have a lot of designer things and $100,000 cars, and that's not success. In fact, I. I'm turned off by that a little bit now. It was a point in my, there was a time in my life where that was sort of the status thing. It was like, you know, but I'm a father, you know, I have a 10 year old at home and success to me is at the end of the day, what's that relationship like? What's the relationship like with my wife? Because I, I, I think, you know, it's money is not, it's not the answer to a lot of it. I think success in my business is going to be, can I remain within that Venn diagram? How can you stay there? Because I think finding that out, we talked about that, you know, the value, the passion and the skill. How do I stay in that sweet spot? If I can stay in that sweet spot, I'll be successful. I need to write down this Venn diagram of success. I'll I'll send it to you. I'm going to give you a copy. I love, love that. There it is. I'm just going to put it there. Yep. I mean, we see that in a lot of different things. I, I love that. I've never heard somebody describe what success is to them by that, yeah. staying within that region. Because I think that that's, you're talking about harmony. And you're really, it takes into time. What are the other things in my life that I need to make time and space and energy for? Yeah. Because I think if, let's say I kept doing this and, you know, you know, had the, the skill and the ability to do it and, the value grew, right? In other words, I made a lot of money on it, but I started hating it. 
Mm-hmm. I lost the passion for it. Was that success? Not really, right? Or if for some reason I still had the passion for it and the value was there, but I just couldn't compete in the market because I didn't have that skill. That's not success either. Mm. So I think you have to stay in that sweet spot. It's not just really what you're meant to do. It's really, can you stay there? And you have to work on it. You know, you have to constantly, you know, if, you, if I don't reinvent myself and reinvent my business every day, I mean, we came up with the protein ball. We joked about it, but we, can, we I came up with the protein ball during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I got to do something else. I got to figure something else out. And it came out of the fact that I saw my customers here we sell protein pancake mix, right? But we weren't selling anything that was people can grab and go and eat. So we started making the waffles and the pancakes to go. And, you know, we had the shakes and the coffee, but then the protein balls were, you know, something that people can just take and, and eat. They would still buy the pancake mix, but they're not going to take the pancake. You can't eat that. You have to go home and make it, right? So it, it got us into a new market in a way. And, it adds value. So I think if you don't stay sharp and kind of see the ebb and flow in the tide, you're not going to be successful in your business. Well, it's not even just that. Like what I really hear under that is what did they want? Right. What do they need? What's their problem that I can help solve? Right. Sure. It leads to more money, but that's a byproduct of, yeah. I care about you enough to pay attention. Staying sharp is, do I keep paying attention to the things that matter most, the people that are in front of me, the relationships? Yeah. And you brought up before, well, what if you start to hate your business? I think of the next step, logical step there is like, well, you're going to bring that lethargy and that, 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 like that disdain yeah. home. Right. How's that going to affect your relationship with your wife? How's it going to affect your relationship yeah. with your kid? Like, maybe it's not super noticeable in the beginning, but that's also modeling for yeah. everybody else that's following you on this journey. Right. How does that connection be affected? Yeah. I mean, another way to look at this is not, it's like, if I were to ask you, let's say you were skilled in anything you wanted to be skilled in and you're going to be the best at it, but you had to work. What would you do? Oh, is that a rhetorical or is it real? Oh, no, maybe. I mean, if you can answer, you can answer. Okay. I actually struggle with that. I, in other yeah. words, if you can have any skill in the world, and you had to put that skill to some career profession. I'm doing it right now. Yeah. What is it? I, I, not for nothing. Yeah. This is exactly how I coach. This yeah. doesn't change. Right. I love this. I love just sitting down and holding space with people. And money wasn't an option, I should say, right? Because some people would answer I that question. No question. money off this right now. Right. But somebody, some yeah. people would answer that question. So if I could have any skill in the world, what would I do? Well, I would, you know, and money wasn't an issue. They would, they would choose some, you know, I'd be playing for the NFL or I'd be, you know, you know, a millionaire or I, or I, you know, I, I, whatever it is, it usually equates to money. Right. But that's not what's going to make you happy. In the long run, right. I also think the other thing that a lot of people, you know, dismiss is, is your own health. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, if I do this and, you know, if, if you do anything, but you're not healthy and you don't feel good and you don't, that's not success. You know, that's not success at all. You know, uh, especially in this business is that, you know, you've got to be a model for 
yourself for your behavior. I'm not saying that I have to be a chiseled bodybuilder, you know, you know, to be the model for my company, but I have to, I can't be a fat slob either, you know. Um, you, have you, have, you have to walk the walk, yeah. you know, and that keeps you accountable, you know. Those are good things. Yeah. And, like, you know, the, what, what's the, one of the seven habits, sharpening the saw. Mm -hmm. you, you read the seven habits? Okay. So I think the last habit or the fifth habit or whatever it was, was sharpen the saw. And that is, you know, for those of you who haven't read the book or know what the seven habits are, there's a story of, you know, a guy who's sawing a tree down and he's working hard at it and really, really, really going at sawing this tree. And somebody comes up to him and says, what are you doing? He says, oh, this, I have to work really hard because the saw is dull. He said, why don't you stop and sharpen the saw? He said, well, I don't have time to. I'm too busy sawing this tree. Said, but you have to stop and sharpen it so that you can cut the tree better. I don't have time. You don't understand. I'm too busy sawing. And what the analogy there is, if you don't stop and improve upon yourself and learn new things and stay healthy and work out or eat better, you're not going to be efficient. You're not going to be able to do anything wrong. So long-term, especially if an entrepreneur is listening, like your profit margins, they, like they nosedive if you're not sharpening the saw. You're not, you're not capable of creating enough space to be an efficient and effective worker at the same time. It's both those things. It's not right. just, sure, that saw is still effective. It's still cutting through, but it's not efficient. Yeah. But on the same token, if it's not, if you're too efficient and you're not effective, yeah. like you could do a really shitty job of, yeah. you could do a really shitty job of making pancakes right now really fast, right? but it wouldn't be effective at connecting with the people that you need to be connecting with. Right. So it's the balance. I'm also a realist too. And, yeah. you know, I think part of my, a big part of my success is my work ethic. You know, you can, a lot, I see a lot of people, they spend a lot of time sharpening the saw. They spend a lot of time working on themselves and reading and understanding all these other things. But when it comes right down to it, if you're not willing to do the work, you know what I mean? If you're not willing to do it, you, you gotta, you gotta sometimes put the nose to the grindstone and just get it done. You know, it's as much as it sucks, you know, you could spend hours and hours and hours talking about it you know, and meeting about it and just do it. You know? That's the balance between efficient and effective. Some yeah. people are trying to be so efficient. Yeah. But you didn't, you didn't even do the job. Right. At some point, it doesn't matter. Anymore. I, I would, I go out on a limb when I see that stuff and I just go, it's mostly because you're just afraid to take a shot. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing and I'm going to sound like an old man saying this, but one of the things that I see in this generation coming up is the lack of work ethic. I'm yeah. talking, I'm talking young, like younger kids. I agree. I mean, that. when I was, you know, 12 years old, I was the kid that was knocking on doors for the shovel saying, can I shovel your driveway? Not because my parents were telling me to, it was just because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to earn money. I wanted to hustle. I wanted to, and it was part of the, I wasn't the only kid doing that, by the way, either. Everybody in my street was doing that. You had to get up earlier and earlier when it snowed to shovel the, shovel the driveways for 10 bucks or 20 bucks. Because there were other kids that were in competition with it. So that was the culture I grew up in, you know, outside of Boston. And, you know, you're, 
you know, you work at a young age, you know, you're, you're out there, you know, we used to knock on people's doors. Can we paint your fence? Like, you know, you don't see that anymore. Because last time someone knocked on your house and kind of shovel your drive. <laughs> They're inside playing, you know, Xbox and sipping hot chocolate. But, you know, I think, you know, I hear this all the time. Like people don't want to work. People don't, you know, maybe you're looking in the wrong spot. I don't know. I mean, there's a, there are, there are, there are people that are working hard. And, and, and I think, um, I think the scale, the, I think the scales are about to tip. I don't know if yeah. you're familiar with, there's a book called the pendulum. Yeah. And it's about every 20 years you go between a me society versus a we society. Yeah. Basically you just time it, maybe counter. <laughs> yeah. You're going to, you're going to be the outlier that wins on the back end. Um, what I think that I'm seeing to your to that effect is people are just waiting to find the thing that they love the most, which I, I like that. Like, yeah, for the long haul, you're going to have to do what you love. But in the beginning, you have to try some shit. And you're not going to know if you like it until you've committed enough to it right. to be like, you know what? I can honestly say I don't like it. I think about some skills where it's like, I didn't enjoy that in the beginning. Well, then you do it for, call it 90 days. And you're like, I'm getting a little better at it. You know what? I kind of like this thing. Yeah. Like, if the, Not a lot of people like lifting weights in the beginning because it's like, right. well, I suck. I'm weak compared to everybody else. But you do it for, like, man, I, you know, I hit a new PR. Yeah. Uh, maybe I do kind of like this thing. Like, yeah. It's kind of cool now. Well, what about the people that are like, you know, maybe the, they don't have a job right now and they're waiting for the perfect job to come along. Oh, and, they're, and they're saying, well, I'll just collect unemployment until that comes in. You know? That's the problem that, this what is it it's just like the drug of being comfortable yeah i don't have to there's no impetus there's no pain and no matter what like the pain has to come yeah it's whenever coming. i talk to you about business they're like you know you know do you have anybody working for you right now i said i've tried like two or three people over the summer it's just not working out like, and you get the oh, nobody wants to work right and it's i always answer back it's not that nobody wants to work i mean there's some of that but there's a lot of people that don't have to mm-hmm. especially in this area you know there's a lot of kids that are just spoiled rotten who like this actually leads to an interesting question that i'm gonna have for you where my perspective now is companies are going to be required to sell a vision of what do you care about Mm -hmm. fundamentally and i think this is actually a beautiful thing to cover what's the vision of a company Mm -hmm. what am i buying into because my my i think the empathy of the current generation might be the big thing that will come come out of it is like i care i want this company to care right. whether what a, whatever the cause is about it has to be more than i'm not just selling pancakes right. i'm thinking of high quality i'm thinking about you know you can be healthy and you can enjoy what you eat at the same time and it's going to be high quality stuff and you, know, you can be f- proud to like represent this as a family member or whatever it is that's a very different story than i'm just selling pancakes mm-hmm. let's get the profit margins up let's right. go let's go let's go like right. expect, you know a lot of people i think are burnt out from we'll call it corporate greed or whatever name yeah. your thing but not realizing like high value is also going to like is the balance of people want to be rich, mm-hmm. but they also want it to be of a certain quality. Yeah. What an interest. That also begs the question I asked before, like what's success? But I think that's where we're at right now. And I guess my follow up question. I can stop saying. I guess my follow up question there is, what's the vision for Stacked that you have for? Yeah, it's not too far off from what I laid out on a piece of paper seven years ago. You know, I wrote down what I wanted the product to be 
And we've never really strayed from that. Mm. I never really sacrificed that. Um, but it's not so much about the product, but I think we always want to be the company that people look to and can trust the ingredients, can trust with what I'm saying is in it, is in it. I'm not lying about you know, the nutrition or anything else. There's a lot of companies do that as well. I can show you the lab reports and I can show you the ingredients and when push comes to shove is that what's in it is what's in it. Um, but what's I, you know, what's, what's eye opening to me is when I see, you know, the, we don't just sell the bodybuilders. We don't just sell the fitness people, people that go to the gym. But I'm, you know, we're selling the diabetics. We're selling to people that are, have just recovered from weight loss surgery. Um, we're selling to people that have cancer. And that, you know, they'll tell me your product is the only thing that I can eat. Wow. Because it's easy going down. And then, you know, at the same time, it tastes good. And, you know, it's sometimes it's easy coming up. <laughs> you know wow. what I mean? Like these people are sick. So you can't, you know, I had a friend that had colon cancer and that's all he ate. No shit. It's all he ate. He says, I have to have the protein but I can't really digest meat. I, get, I can't digest, I don't really like eggs. I can't really digest a lot of the food and the, the hard complex carbohydrates. So this was, you know, this was the thing that they could eat. And I think about that and I say, well, that's why we have to be the high quality product that we are because of who potentially might eat it. If I lie about how much sugar is in it, I mean, if you look at the package, some people look at my package, well, you got five grams of sugar in it. Like, that's right, I do. Well, that's a lot. Like, it's not really. Not compared to And there's five grams of sugar in it because there's five grams of sugar in it. You know? Um, if I told you that there was one, what's going to happen to the person that eats that that's really watching the sugar? Because they, not because of a fitness reason, but because they're diabetic. Or, or they have some other health concern. So you've got to be honest you know i see if, if something's too good to be true probably is mm -hmm. with health products i mean if you look at a lot of people that look at my label they'll say well there's 22 you know there's 26 grams of carbs in there or 24 grams of carbs yeah there are if i told you there was two you wouldn't believe it because there's not <laughs> there's we add you know maple sugar to it we add there's flowers in it there's also a lot of protein powder in it um but I think, you know, you have to stay true to, you know, not only your product, but also your customer service and knowing why you're doing it. You're not just doing it to make money. It's, it's for me anyway, it's food. It's, it's nutrition. That's why we're called stack nutrition, not stack pancakes, we're mm. stack nutrition. And I think if we ever stray from that model, that would be failure. You know, if we ever sacrificed you know, ingredients or, um, you know, the honesty and the, and the integrity of our product, I think that would be, we'd be doing. And I don't think I would be able to continue doing it. I heard these three. I get a little emotional, I think, talking about it. That gets me fired up. That story about your friend, I never considered that. My dad had cancer. And I think about those types of things, I would never consider, wow, if I'm going to puke, puke up my food, how is this going to make me feel? And then I'm thinking, but my next meal, I got to go put down. Right. 
do I really feel like going through that pain again? And, and we're talking about something that's a little bit, we'll call it gross, but like, yeah. man, that person, like that's their day. Right. I'm dealing with puking my guts out over a, a, a toilet and I'm not, I'm in the worst fucking place in my life. Yeah. You know what? This one guy cared enough to think how I was going to feel in this really shitty moment. I'm getting a little emotional too. Like, I think about my dad. Holy shit. I mean, that was the moment that changed my life, like you know, watching my father go through that. But I think what you're talking about is something that, like, wow, that's at somebody's worst. Yeah. Are they going to be able to trust me? That's reliability. So yeah. the things that I heard, like in that three stack, was like, it's going to be healthy, it's going to be enjoyable, and it's going to be have integrity. Yeah. Like, I think, talk about three stacks of. Yeah, the three stacks. You know, are we. Our um, slogan, I guess, we don't really use it that much, is eat strong. Ooh. And it, it came about because of the whole Boston Strong thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, during the Boston Marathon bombing, which I was involved with. And, really? Yeah. Well, it, while I was emergency management director, I was, you know, I played a role in ensuring that, you know, the safety of everybody at Harvard from, from there. And I was, you know, integrated with this, the, the city and, looking at all that. So it was very close to that, um, wow. that event. And so each strong kind of came out of the whole Boston strong slogan. But <laughs> one of the ideas when we were brainstorming, my, my wife actually came up with this. I said, what do you think we should, our slogan should be? And she said really early on, she said, stack, you know, stack protein pancakes. And she said, because eating healthy doesn't have to suck. <laughs> I love that. You know, we never really used it. But it's so true. It's like, you know, eating gallons of egg whites and protein powder and, you know, oatmeal day after day after day and the chicken, broccoli and brown rice over and over and over again. That's why I started this company because I was eating it. I'm like, I want pancakes. Who doesn't love pancakes, by the way? Jeez, you know what I mean? Like, I, I really like. want pancakes, but I'm like, you can't, you can't go and, you know, Pancakes are always considered like a cheat meal, right. you know, get a big stack of Aunt Jemima pancakes or whatever it is. Like, we can't call it Aunt Jemima anymore, right? It's called it's Pearl Milling. It's Pearl Milling. Right. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like yeah, store-bought yeah. conventional pancakes, which is everyone is, you know, associates with being like a cheat meal in a way. Yeah. There's really nothing healthy about regular pancakes. No. So, you know. It's gluttony. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it's so rewarding, though, to hear from, you know, people that are, you know, into fitness to say, I'm so glad I can have pancakes again. And now we have gluten-free ones. Which I typically go with. Personally. Yeah, and I'm gluten-free now. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if all the, you know, it, how many people, what the percentage of people are gluten-free, but I'm, a lot of people are doing it by choice. And, but there's an awful lot of people that do it because they have to. Yeah. Right? Celiac. So now that we have a gluten-free protein pancake, I mean, having a gluten-free pancake is hard enough. Right, because you know gluten-free products, they don't typically taste like yeah, cardboard. But then you take something that you know is difficult to do anyway, gluten-free, and then you say, "Well, I'm going to add 22 grams of protein to it." It's even harder because a protein pancake is hard. Mm -hmm. A gluten-free is hard. Mm -hmm. A gluten-free protein pancake is hard. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, you've, you have you had the gluten-free ones? That's the ones we buy. Yeah. Yeah, I so they're, they're fantastic. And I worked really hard on that one because I was starting to go more gluten-free and I saw a lot of people asking me, 
When are you going to come out with a gluten-free one? When are you going to come out with gluten -free? You should really do one that's gluten-free. I can't have wheat. My father can't have wheat. My, my, my daughter can't eat it because it's... So we did one that was gluten-free, and, and um, there's a lot of the goes that goes into that. I can only imagine. And then the, first, the day we released it, I was so excited, you know, sampling it, advertising it, and telling everybody about it. Orders were coming in. I was so happy. And then the first question that came up was, is it vegan? so it's like you know so now you're doing now you're thinking about a gluten-free vegan vegan protein pancake and it's you know pancakes are like pizza like pizza in a way it's mm -hmm. like three simple ingredients you know flour egg and you know milk or whatever it, you know for a conventional pancake you can make your own pancakes at home like flour egg and milk right yeah so you now remove the flour out of that and the sugar out of it and you try to substitute protein and protein doesn't act like flour it doesn't bake like flour it's not the same so it's really challenging to, to do that so now if you're if you're thinking about something that's gluten-free you're not only taking all the flour out of it all the wheat out of it and adding protein but now if it's vegan you can't use any egg and you can't use milk-based protein so you've got to use a pea-based or a vegetable-based protein. And it's almost impossible. We've made one, and it looks and cooks like a pancake, but tastes horrible. Really? And that's where I think it goes back to, you know, the, the set of the vision of, of the product. It's we're not going to put something up that doesn't taste good just to say we have it first. You know what I mean? I really like it. Because I think if, you, if someone ever tried, let's say we had a gluten-free vegan protein pancake, and someone tried it, so this tastes horrible, which they did. And I'll be the first to admit they were terrible. Mm. Um, nobody would buy any of our other products again. <laughs> it's... Well, it's funny you're saying this because I watched a movie last night. It was called Duplicity. Mm -hmm. And it was, a, this, it was basically corporate espionage and about this company being the first to market. I won't give away to it. It's about being the first to market with this thing. And mm -hmm. they're like trying to undercut each other. So I'll leave it at that. It's with uh, yeah. Julia Roberts and uh, what's his name? God, I can't think of it. It's Clive Owen, Owen. I think that's who it is. Anyway. Is this an older movie? I think it's 2009, 2010. Is this the one where they come up with the, the cure for baldness or something? There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was great. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed it. But the thing that came to mind, I guess it was quite serendipitous that we're talking about right now, is like being first to market, while it's cool, yeah. nah, kind of not first. Yeah. Are you the best to market? Yeah. Because, and you know, it's going to take people who are first to market, mm -hmm. no matter what, because you're a pioneer. But more often than not, the best to market is going to take those lessons and say, I'm not to say the first to market can't be that. The best to market is going to say, I'm going to learn all those problems. I'm going to learn all those obstacles, but I'm thinking about who long-term is going to consume this. Yeah. Who's going to follow in the footsteps of this? I, I might, because the sustainability comes from Yes, to market high quality experience, not just, and don't get me wrong, it takes a visionary to just walk down that dark, lonely path to go create that. And there's value in that. Mm -hmm. But both are visionaries in their own right. And it's asking ourselves, what is success? What does success look like? What yeah. does risk look like? What is my risk tolerance? And if you're going to go all in on being the first to market on something, make sure you really love it. And it's the cause. Like Elon wants to go to Mars. Cool. He's got a lot of people bought into that vision because yeah. they're, he's seeing this bigger thing. Yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, and that is, you know, not worrying so much about what other people are doing, mm. you know, and I think um, 
one thing that I've really learned in owning my own business is to be much more thick skinned. Mm. You know, um, I used to read comments or people would say things, not so much on social media, but when I would do demos at like grocery stores, if I went to a bodybuilding show and I cooked pancakes, people know it. They know what it is. Mm. They understand what protein is. They may have heard of it before. They can't wait to come over and try it. They're going to buy a bag and not worry that, about the cost of it because it's $15 a bag. And they're like, you know, they don't balk at that. They don't say $15, you know, because they're used to paying $50 for protein, right? Mm -hmm. And when you go into a supermarket and you're now setting up a table and you're demoing, you know, pancakes, there's a different market there. You've got, you know, people walking around with Pop-Tarts in their, mm -hmm. in their carriage and they come over and they say, what are you selling here? They just want the free sample, right? Always. It's a pain, but you have to do it. They want the free sample. What is it? Oh, oh they're protein pancakes, they're organic. Uh-huh. And they take it and they eat it and they go, oh, these are good. Yeah. All right. Um, let me see the package. And they look at it and they go, oh, how much is it? It says $15. Oh, yeah, I can't. You know, I, 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 you know, that's, I can't afford that's that. too many carbs for me. Yeah. That's too many carbs for me. You know, with the pop tarts, right? With next. The pop -tarts <laughs> or, you know, we were at a fair, like a, it was like an outdoor street fair. Mm. And we had a tent there and we were demoing and selling the pancakes. And a woman had a sausage sandwich with peppers and onions on it that she got at the free at the, the booth next to her. And she was eating it and we were demoing the coconut protein pancakes and among others and she took a bite of the coconut pancake and she said i don't taste the coconut in these at all <laughs> and i used to have really thick skin and i would you know thin skin and i would maybe if you took the sausage sandwich out of your face <laughs> you, were, you know you'd be able to taste it but now i just you know you have to let it go you know just well it's knowing whose opinion you're going to listen to right obviously you target marketed with the bodybuilder not for nothing when you hit that market by curating the experience of putting all the food and all those things and the things that care about protein into one experience, right. you've actually saved them a lot of time, which ultimately saved them a lot of money. On the front end, it looks like it's more expensive, but long-term yeah, it's, no, not. it's not. Yeah. It's not, it actually probably is more, it's actually cheaper. It's $1.85 a serve. You're looking at that one. Where can you, you can't even get a protein bar for $1.85. Oh, you can't. I know what a Quest bar costs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like so, it's a, so it's a, it's a $1.85. You know, because it's eight servings per bag. So it's, it's great. And you're going to enjoy it. And you're going to be like, you know what? I'll keep doing this. Yeah. And especially, well, what I think is turning right now, especially if you thought about target marketing, like a whole foods, well, you already have health conscious people. Yeah. They're aware of the power, the benefit yeah. of having healthier protein and more consistent amount of protein. Like you're really asking somebody, how can you integrate these core nutrients into your regimen, your daily routine in a way that is palatable, yeah. that's enjoyable? Because once if it's enjoyable, they'll just keep doing the damn thing. Yeah. Cool. Oh, well, now let's think about the back end costs. Well, if you're not healthy and you're 50 pounds overweight, let's point out what's going on with the world right now. Right. The core morbidities are the big reason why people die. Yeah. Let's, what are, what's that cost? Yeah. What's that cost if you're going to get hospitalized? Gonna, and there are costs that you can't account for because it's emergency costs. And emergency costs go nuts. Yeah. So if you're a little more proactive with your behaviors and you're thinking about that, I mean, and you talked about with the cancer mm -hmm. uh, patients, you're thinking about like, well, what are these experiences 
what if they what's the what's the cost if they can't get food down and keep it down what if they just are like i will i'm going to stop eating altogether wow yeah. what a that is cost efficient and effective right. over the timeline and that's powerful yeah I, I, something else i wanted to bring up too is that you know a lot of people don't talk about this but it's the giving back yeah you know like we do um for the month of october um the pink protein pancakes mm. and we donate 100 percent of the sales to local breast cancer charities and we tint the um um the, the pancakes with the all natural it's actually beet extract really yeah so it's a beet powder that a, a company actually donates to me because for the cost because it's very expensive and so we put a tiny bit of that in the original buttermilk mix and it, when you put water on it, it turns the pancakes pink wow so when you cook them they're pink pancakes so we donate 100 percent of the sales 100 doesn't of the affect proceeds. the taste though Jeff. doesn't affect no. the taste no so 100 of the proceeds to um local breast cancer charities we also do um you know a lot with saint jude's as much as we can donating money to saint jude's which is a charity that my wife's family has been involved with since the beginning really yeah um and then each year we started this last year um my friend chris and i so chris owns platinum property care mm. uh, which is a landscaping company and mm. comes in here and you know we became friends at the gym and um he said last year he said he's kind of a big gruff guy and he says uh hey he goes i want to play santa <laughs> i go what he says we should do something I'm like what do you mean he goes it's got to be tough for people this year he goes with covid and christmas and everything else and no one gets to see santa he goes i'm gonna get i'm gonna dress up as santa i go yeah i go we'll set up a chair here we'll have an open house we'll do free pancakes and hot chocolate if you donate a toy to toys for tots he goes, it's a great idea so we started brainstorming it and we pulled it off like in three weeks wow because we had this idea like the beginning of december yeah. so we got the flyers made and everything we had did you did, were you were you able to make it there here last year we had the parking lot full. We filled six bins of toys. Wow. He bought an $800 Santa suit. We got a throne that he sat in and kids came in with masks and everything else. And we had free pancakes, free hot chocolate. It was like a big party, but we raised a ton of donations, you know, just from giving out free pancakes. And it was, we're doing it again this year, December 11th, uh, Saturday from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. At, at the Stack Cafe. So Santa will be here, bring a toy and you get a free pancake, free pancakes and hot chocolate. And it's a good time. You know, everybody's in a good spirit. Um, but I think that's important too for, On this day and for age. businesses is that if you don't give back, you no. know, I, I think if you, to your question earlier, what's the measure of success? If you're able to do that, however small, I, I look at that as success too. Ooh. Because I think if you just keep it all to yourself, you're not, you're not doing anybody a service. And don't do it because it's a marketing thing. Don't do it because you, you know, yeah, you want it to care. <laughs> yeah, you really need. That's why we identify with the, um, the Toys for Tots and, the, and St. Jude's because it is a charity that my wife's family was involved with. Toys for Tots, I think, is just a great charity. Just because Christmas time, especially during years like we had last year was, was really tough. They're, they had a huge shortage of toys, huge. Um, if you've never been to the, um, the Toys for Tots headquarters in the capital region, it's, it's on 146, it's just this massive warehouse. 
I remember going there last year to pick up the bins, the big cardboard bins. And um, we looked around and they said, yeah, we're really short. This warehouse is usually full by now. So I said, well, we'll do what we can, you know? And they, they were like, yeah, well, good luck, you know? And when wow. we came back with those six bins of toys, we had to put them on his landscape trailer to bring them there. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. So we're hoping to do more. We're hoping to double that this year. That's so, a great goal. Yeah. It's powerful. And you're right. It has to be from a true reason. I mean, yeah. again, you talk about this clearly you were connected to the cancer yeah. patients and talking about breast cancer. What a great process. Yeah, c- connected and in, in really affected by it more. Yeah. And there was a, you know, it's, uh, I think, affected by it because I think it just, you have to stop and think about the, the criticality of what you're doing. You know, you're, it's a food. You know, that's, it's really important. And it, not only from a taste and, you know, benefit, but you've got to be really careful about how you handle raw ingredients, how you handle the product safety, the cleanliness of your, your operation and, and everything else. Because again, this is, this is something that people are putting into their body. And nourishing themselves with it. Nourishing themselves with it. So it's, 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 it's as important as, we're not considered a supplement yeah. or a food. But it's you know we're held to we're held to high standards anyway. But you have to hold yourself to those standards, and I think that it was eye opening for me. You know, wow. when you stop and thinking about it that way, so it shines through, my friend. It yeah. really does. And you know, I tend to be. I mean, this is what I do with my life, so it sticks out very yeah. obviously to me. But my hope that for anybody listening right now can start picking up. Oh, these are some of the signs and symptoms. A lot of people feel it they can't but they can't put their finger on it obviously i'm very partial to vision driven businesses yeah because that's the high impact stuff again i'm thinking about you're thinking about somebody at their worst <clears throat> not just everybody like oh rainbows and butterflies it's just like yeah. party and just get drunk and high or whatever the thing something like fun cool you're thinking about somebody who needs somebody in their corner at their worst hour that's like a real testament to love and care and a business can be that with whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter the product. It means you have to give a shit yep. to care enough about like thinking about that whole experience all the way through. And uh, my hope is that people start thinking like, oh, this is kind of, you talk about like what's NLP, neurolinguistic programming but, and cognitive behavioral therapy. But when I think of, when I hear the words that come out of people's faces on a routine, yeah. and, you know, all you really need to do is have one long conversation with somebody and you're like, I kind of understand where you're coming from with right. everything. Right. Got it. What's the, where do you, what do you lean to? Where do you care? Like, are you bound by dogmas and are you just attracted to the shiny things? Yeah. Or, you know, and that's why I like long podcasts because you can't, I think the threshold's to really like 90 minutes. Yeah. Unless you're good at asking questions. How like, long are we going to have? Probably, oh, we're sitting for around two hours. Wow. Yeah. And it just feels like 20 minutes. Like, really? Yeah. If you. This is Joe Rogan ask. I could talk for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> My wife just starts to roll her fucking eyes. She goes, I don't know who's going to listen to all this, but. Uh, well, you know, you'll be surprised. Some yeah. people, like, there's some really amazing gems in all of this that. Yeah. I think that's what's important. Around 90 minutes is what I've found. You can't fake it anymore. Yeah. You get on these like five, 10 minute like, news clips, whatever. Everybody rolls through with their pre-recorded message that they just got brainwashed. Like I just spit out my bullet points. Awesome. But tell me what you really think. Yeah. Stop. Like when you're too tired to put up a front anymore, 
now now how do you show up is that really still coming through well i hope i hope you know through our discussion for those listening that they get something out of it and it we are talking about me and my business but bigger picture kind of stuff hopefully there's lessons to be learned here and something valuable out of the conversation i certainly got a lot out of the conversation talking um, to you likewise like that and um you know one would only hope that those listening because we're not doing this after this felt more like a conversation between you and i and less about what the listeners want to hear but, i haven't paid attention to the camera at all you just had to ask me how long we've been I've done. yeah i know couldn't I have paid attention i know no this was awesome this is great yeah I've only got one more question. Okay. I skipped my, I only have like two questions ever for podcast, yeah. but you guys. You skipped the first one. You know the, you know the question. I, I, because you said. You want to close with it? You can. You want, you, you want to ask me what my purpose is or who am I? Who am I? Let's go. Okay. Who am I? Okay. Who am I? Um, I love that you know this because that's the yeah, first time no. anybody's ever said, I know what you're going to ask me. I've been asked this question before. Really? In an interview. Yeah. Like. In an interview? In an interview. I would have signed up then. Yeah. If they offered me the job. Yeah. I've also been asked in an interview, do you ever break the rules? Um, I've been asked in an interview, who's your, who's your hero? You know, and it was some deep questions, but the, who are you? Um, you? You always want to be tempted. You're always tempted to answer that question with some sort of a label. Like I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm an uncle or whatever it is, or I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I don't even know what that really means. You know, like it sounds like a fancy word for business owner or something, but or think there's a lot of things. But I think what, yeah, um, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't like to answer this question with any kind of a label. Um, I think, you know, and I'm a, well, I'm a thinker, right? I Good definitely think I, I overthink things sometimes. My wife always complains about overthinking. <laughs> I, I really do. Really, I overthink everything. Yeah, um, to a fault, you know. But my mind is always going a million miles an hour. And most people don't realize that, but it's going. You know, not in a bad way sometimes, but you know, um, it, it's. I'm always thinking not about the next thing I can do. But I'm always thinking. I'm always over. I'm always analyzing things. Um, but I, I think. Uh, have you heard the have you heard the expression um jack of all trades oh, yeah. but master of none i identify i look quite a bit with it <laughs> okay so so i think i'm a jack of all trades and a master of some Ooh, <laughs> so yeah. i wouldn't call myself a a you know renaissance man you know i think that's uh because i'm not artistic i i, I, your, I your food is your art my friend but I think that, you know, through my experiences, and again, I'm a little, a little bit older than you, 49 years old, but push, 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 but um, I've had a lot of experiences, not just in work, but in life. And I've learned a lot from those things. And I think it, you know, the jack of all trades, it's kind of a proud thing to be, but if you're a jack of all trades and master of all, that's not great. So I think, you know, it's a work in progress. You know, I'm still figuring it out. You know, I think you're a product of who you, of your, your upbringing. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I don't identify 100% or I solely on that. Um, you're also looking at the future, but I think the most important thing is just to be in the moment. So who I am right now is who I am. I don't know what I'm going to be 
in five, 10, 15 years. Maybe when I retire, I'll be working at Home Depot. and be that. That's my goal, by the way. Wow. Is to retire and then be that guy at Home Depot, that, the old man that comes up to you and say, can I help you? Like, yeah, I'm looking for the electrical outlet. So let me take you over there. That's, I what, I, that, that. that's what I want to do. I love I that. want to be financially stable enough to just work and not worry about, that's what I want to do. I want to be the guy that helps other people at Home Depot. <laughs> I think that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. I really you know love what I mean? that. Like, yeah. It's going to be a great job. Just walk around in your orange shirt and just say, let me show you where the lumber is. You know, and not have to care if the person gets pissed at you or but you know you help people. Let me show you the light bulbs. Yeah. There's a difference between LED and luminescent, whatever they are. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know the difference. Yeah. It's but, almost yeah. like be the Walmart greeter. I have the same Yeah, the like, Walmart greeter is a little, you know, yeah, that's, that's you saying that saying goodbye or or the person that you know Sam's cover beat is checking the receipts. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I want to be the guy at home depot that's let me take you on your you path. Because I met a guy like that and I said to him, that's, that's what I want, that's what I want to be. Wow. I want to do that job. And he's it's a great job. It's a great job. Just help her. Just walk yeah. around and help people. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess yeah. that leads into what's your purpose. Yeah, I uh that's a harder question. Ooh. You know, the purpose question. I don't know what my purpose is. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know if you can answer that I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not really sure i think uh right now presently my purpose or is is really to protect and provide for family. that's all i care about you know that's really all i care about and in the end if i wasn't fulfilling my dreams and i wasn't you know in my dream job of owning my own business like i am now if I couldn't do that for whatever reason, you know, I've got a wife, I've got a daughter, you know, I'd dig ditches if I had to. If this all came crashing down, I'd be working construction. So I'd be doing whatever I had to do mm. to provide and protect my family. That's, that's really my purpose. You know, it's sometimes it's like I said before, you got to put, you know, you got to put the work in. And at the end of the day, that's, that's really what it's all about. I'm a big family man. I come from a, very tight family. We have a large extended family here. We spend most of our time with family, you know, dinners and things like that. And at the end of the day, you know, it's less about, it's not about me, you know, you know, we all do this to make a living, you know, and I wish I had a better answer. Like I really want to help people and provide, and, you know, well, uh, the question of what is family is also broad it's, spectrum. Like it's this, broad, it's broad. Right? The feeling I get when I walk in, like family yeah well that's good i mean that's it sounds like you just a yeah. care to caregiver to your tribe yeah I, I, yeah i think if you if, what my purpose is at this stage of my life is is that because mm. above all you know it's not always about you you know it never is it's you know when you're married and when you have when you have a when you have a kid it's 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 about them you know, and I just want to be, I just want to make sure that I can be the best husband and father I can. I love it. Well, my friend, here we are. What do we call it? Three hours in almost. Jesus. I love everything about it. Maybe two and a half hours, whatever it is. Yeah. Somebody who's made it to this juncture in the journey. They're like, shit, I like him. Yeah. I want to, this has been good. I want to connect with him more. I want to support. the. Brand. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. We got to get that cigar. We're going to have a drink. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, maybe, I get to, maybe get together for dinner or something. Too. Oh, I'm all about it. Yeah. Lexi and I love to double date. 
Absolutely. We're Absolutely. all about it. I mean, you know that my goal is to create an entrepreneur couples yeah. thing. Like I yeah. won't even call it a support group, but I mean like a growth group, a human group. Yeah. I think that there's something about that. I yeah. clearly. I just want to eat some good food and have a drink. Bullshit, yeah. I mean, <laughs> really got to pull my arm. It, it's not hard to get me out. It's like, let's go have it. Like, yeah. here's a cool place to go have have a, a great bite to eat. Like, yes. My favorite thing on this planet is to share a meal with somebody. Absolutely. An experience that's curated by yeah. something that's good. I mean, I can go without the food. This is this is like my nirvana, but like when you start to add the variables like food and all those things, it makes an experience really, really powerful, really, yeah. really special. But for somebody to look out and connect and again, like want to support the brand, like, man, I'm also looking for food that is enjoyable and healthy. And yeah. like, I can feel like I'm eating with integrity and also supporting all these great causes at the same time. What would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, from, through my website, uh, stacknutrition.com. Um, and um, my email is Gary, G-A-R-Y at stacknutrition.com. I'll make sure all that stuff is in the uh, in the show notes so you guys can connect with that and we'll be tagging you and all that other fun stuff on Sounds Instagram. Good. I appreciate that. it. Not necessary, but I appreciate it. You know, I just enjoyed having the conversation with you. And I think, uh, you know, this is like my first time ever doing a podcast or being on a podcast or really, really even being interviewed in this way. Really? Never, never been interviewed in this way. Like short interviews, like, you know, but, um, you know, been interviewed for jobs and things, but never, in, never in this media and this you know growing podcast field so this is uh i guess memorialized and i feel very in honored. the cloud somewhere i don't know how this works but. <laughs> somewhere out there in the ether <laughs> i feel very honored to be the uh, uh the person to shepherd well, you into Caleb, this world. You're, you're a great guy and i think you're doing good things and i think you're gonna go big places with this stuff so. appreciate the love my friend and you know what we're just gonna go on this journey together Absolutely. so uh, that's what makes me happy to just support great people but um anything else you'd like to share with the audience i think we've taken up a more of their time <laughs> a lot of people just have this time, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> i was telling this is like one of the highest compliments i've ever been given the other day she a friend of mine she's like i just put your because i do like a daily or more most days of the week i kind of just pick up the camera and just talk at the thing and just yeah. put it out there she's like i listen to that every morning I'm like uh, cool like what she's like yeah just like put it on the background like thanks like i didn't know you were doing that i didn't i'm just putting it out there yeah this is actually and this is just an aside and i'm that we i i'm like yeah i know you guys are tapped out at this point my wife would be like yes please finally i'm done with the lecture but uh i shifted my perspective on how i look at my social media personally it's my running journal for my kids and That's my cool. grandkids and everything else because now it's just like if i die here's dad's or granddad's thoughts right. on like no, you don't have kids not yet okay. not yet yeah. we get egged on it every so, single day so i'll tell you what you need to do okay. so you know whenever you're, you're blessed and, and, and with, with a child and i did this um i created an email account oh my here we go yeah right for my daughter she doesn't have access to it yet um, and I write emails to it once a while so that the day that I give it to her, she'll see like 50 messages from me. I love that. I love that. It's sometimes just pictures, sometimes just, you know, words of advice, but. I like that. Cause not a lot of people think about that till the end. So it's all done. Yeah. 
And that's why it's very similar. It's kind of just my medium of doing the same thing. Obviously there's the personalized anecdote to like, hey, here's your private email. This is, yeah. this is that exclusive content just for you that was curated that only you're gonna understand all the right. inside, this, that, and the other thing. But that's exactly what it is. Like, yeah. hey, if you're going through this moment in your life, I love, as much as Facebook drives me nuts on a lot of things, my favorite thing is those Facebook memories to pop up like 10 years ago. Oh, Oh, you know what? I on a couple of these things I have thought fairly consistently. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, there's that picture. Oh, I forgot it. Like I yeah. love seeing that. That's cool. And I think about, hey, you're like son, daughter, whatever, yeah. take over my account. Yeah. When you're gonna need it, I have no idea what day they're gonna run upon and where they're like, yeah. I could really use dad's advice. Yeah. I'm you know, yeah. done or whatever. What was dad like this experience of going through owning a business has taught me so much about life. And I've learned everything from my clients and my staff, not the other way around. I am teaching anybody a damn thing. And I'm like, what if I could just share this and then be like, how do I model everything I've learned at home? And we could set that platform. So that was how I flipped it. And uh, it's, I stopped paying attention to the comment. I only like the comments, like I've curated everybody in my audience. Like if I don't want to talk to you, I'm not, you're not going to be there. But like, um, I found that to be really valuable valuable thing but that's my aside that's awesome. here we are almost three hours in two and a half hours yeah. again it doesn't matter how long i've really enjoyed our conversation i really appreciate your time likewise and uh, thank you very much thank you and uh one of many com- great conversations like this to come but i hope everybody listening at home enjoyed the the chat today and uh until next time much love <laughs>